Welcome to the 31st episode of Total Pop Mode, your weekly gaming podcast. My name is Will, and I also go by Hoodafunk, and I'm joined here, as always, by my good friend, co-host, and fellow gaming enthusiast, James, aka Mr. Bames. What's going on, you wild and wily wolfhounds? We've got a hell of an episode lined up for us this week, James. After our catch-up, we'll be moving on to some rumours of a Suicide Squad delay, followed by news of the Diablo 4 beta test servers. And there's news of a new game on the horizon that's considered Roblox for adults, developed by Airland Studios. And we'll be rounding off the episode with the finale of Death Stranding, packed full of revelations, twists, and mysteries. And some Kojima bollocks. Plenty of Kojima bollocks. What your ass say? Okay, James, with all that said, I think it's time to move on to the socials. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pop Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pop Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at TotalPodMode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore TPM. Okay, James, time for the catch up. Okay, man, I'm going to let you lead us off. What have you been playing this week? Well, I have only played one game this... Well, I say I've only played one game this week. I started off the week by finishing what I started and achieved my goal. I completed Neo uh, on Sunday afternoon. Nice one. How was the final boss? Well, it's probably more appropriate if I talk to you about the final mission because the final oh, mission okay. doesn't just have one boss in it. It has seven bosses in it. <laughs> it's like a boss rush mission? Yeah, pretty much. Sounds so, sick. So the first four bosses are all bosses <laughs> you will have fought before in the game and they sort of come right. back. Okay, It is literally a boss rush then. Yeah, but pretty much. You'd, so there's essentially four corners of a tower, and on each corner is a boss that you have to beat. And once you've beaten all four bosses, the lift in the middle of the tower unlocks. Fine, yeah. And then you go up, and then you get to what you think is going to be the final boss, which is a resurrected Japanese warlord called Nobunaga. I yeah, think. Nobunaga. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Nobunaga. Um, and that fight was pretty tough because the dude just resists everything. He's got insane defense. What's the trick then? I did it a third time. Like it, was just, <laughs> it was just it was just tough because you weren't doing a lot of damage and he would do a lot and sure he thing. switches his elements up and it's just it's, it's a good fight. Good fight. Do you have to switch up elements to counter him changing about or did you just nah. kind of you just hammered through? <laughs> yeah. Just use used my spear. I can't remember if I had an element on my spear at the time because I just picked the thing with the highest damage. It's kind of like Diablo in that regard because you find items and the items are leveled. You don't plus one it, plus two it like you might do in a Souls game. So I kind of just used whatever had the highest damage output really. Sure thing. Pump those um, numbers. Exactly. And then you fight the guy that you think is going to be the final boss for the whole game, who's a guy called Edward Kelly. He's like an Englishman. He sounds kind of out of place uh, for this game. No, it, it works. It works. Right, okay. Because he, he's, he's basically a clone, and uh, he's been sent off to do a load of evil doings by uh, the actual final boss of the game, who's in the epilogue, but not in this mission. But yeah, you fight him, you beat him, and that's a like a, quite an easy fight, to be honest, but I think it's meant to be. Because then what he does is he takes all of the Amrita, which is like the souls and the power, basically of the game and he jumps off the building into the water below and this big off seven-headed hydra thing comes out (laughs) okay like a resident evil goddamn transformation 
Yeah, well, kind of, yeah. I mean, I forget what it's called exactly. Um, yeah, that was a quite a tough fight, actually. Because you start off one head attacks you on its own, then two heads, and then suddenly it's six. And then you get it down to the last head, and then that head becomes like a super-powered head right. that has all the abilities <laughs> of each of the other heads combined into one. Because each head, depending on the type of head it is, will have different element, different abilities. Yeah. So that took a few goes. You beat that, and then you've finally done the final mission. But then, as I say, there's then an epilogue after the credits and stuff where you go, because you start the game in the town, of London as you'll remember yes actually I was going to say when I said that name Edward Kelly was our place I had forgotten at the time that uh, the game took place in the Tower of London well two levels you go back at the end and and you end up going sort of back in reverse through what you did in the tutorial mission which is kind of cool you end up going under the tower of london into a secret lab and then you fight the final boss who is is his name i want to say jack d but that's the comedian is it i think it's john d john d okay yeah and he's meant to be like the eye of the queen and he turns into a demon with just covered in eyes basically sounds pretty metal and that was a that was a very simple fight um but yeah got that done very good I'm not quite going to say 10 out of 10 because there are things that I think it could have improved on, but, you know, solid 8, 9 out of 10 game, I think. Very, very good. Definitely going to pick up Neo 2 when that's on sale because apparently that's the same but better and you get to create your own character. So thumbs yeah, up. Yeah, there you go. Nice one. Yeah. What were the things that you thought the game could improve on? Um, I thought that the variety of levels was a little bit poor because they used basically all the, the submissions and stuff. A lot of them used the same level, um, but they didn't switch it up enough in some of them. Um, and I thought they repeated bosses too many times. Um, and, there, and there could have been more enemy variety, to be fair. A lot of the places you're sort of fighting the same enemy or then variations of the same enemy. Um, yeah. So very minor things, but just something that would have been nice. It sounds like those are all the type of things that a sequel would usually hope to address as well. Yeah, fingers crossed. Well, as I say, it didn't affect my enjoyment of the game too much. Like, I'm still probably at some point going to go back to Neo and play the DLC. Um, It was very, very good. I I thoroughly recommend playing it. But yes, that was sort of really the side note, though, because finishing Neo was my path to then starting Wolong Fallen Dynasty. Nice one. Dish the details, man. Man, it's so fun. I went into it thinking it was going to be kind of like Dark Souls, and uh, that is incorrect. It is not. It is more like Sekiro. And that makes it very very intriguing for me because obviously i've fairly recently finished Sekiro twice but it was back in november i think at the end of the year what makes it similar is it the parry system or yeah so you have it's more souls like in terms of the controls in this one in that b is dodge again basically that's really the only thing single tap b which is kind of a quick step actually acts as the parry but it's called deflection and it works in exactly the same way as if you hit um lb or l1 in Sekiro to do the parry you just time it to their attack and it deflects no damage whatsoever and it takes off some of their um posture okay basically. right so what it means there's a similar posture system as well yeah and basically all it does is when the posture goes down you don't get a death blow but you can hit like a critical hit sure thing okay not a guaranteed kill but uh, i guess it's kind of like oh i guess the death blows on Sekiro don't always necessarily kill them do they no, but it's not. It doesn't do like a full health bar or anything like that. Right, it's right. you mainly use it more on bosses because most of the normal enemies they do have the stamina bar still, but um, you, you sort of you mow through them a bit easier. It's not it's not quite the same. Whereas bosses, sometimes you're barely doing anything to their health bar, and the whole idea is that you just whittle down their stamina to then do the critical hit. Do certain enemies in the game have multiple health bars, or is it uh, is it more just a single health bar that you have to chip down over time? Oh no, the 
there's been mixtures of all sorts. Uh, the very first boss, the tutorial boss, which is, we should probably cover in some detail because f me, it's brutal. If you until you realise it's Sakura, <laughs> I heard good but, things about the tutorial boss kicking a load of yeah. people's asses. Well, yeah, it's not just the fact that it kicks us; it's also compulsory. It's not like Genichiro. It's not like some of these other games where the first boss you're not meant to beat right, it, yeah. and then you die, and then you crack on with the main game. No, you have to beat this boss, otherwise you don't. <laughs> you will learn the mechanics of this game. Yeah, no, literally, and it's it's to make you learn the deflection mechanic because without that you're screwed. In this yeah, game. yeah, you really are. Steep learning curve, but it sounds satisfying. You know, it's a good way to start a game off without satisfaction of beating a really tough boss. Yeah, exactly. It was really, really good. Um, you know, it's nice because you've got basically no stats. You maybe got a couple of levels unless you've gone back grinding and refreshing everything, which I couldn't be asked to do. Uh, you basically like no sort of good in air quote weapons because you're right at the start of the game. You just have to go in and learn the mechanics and do it. And that is a two phase boss fight. And what's kind of cool about this game is if you're a fan of the Dynasty Warriors series, all of your favorites are in this. It's based on the story of the Three Kingdoms, but more neo-like in the sense that there's demon sh going on very cool stuff right, I'm, okay. like, I'm loving it in that regard this tutorial boss first phase is the fight against the human he then takes um this sort of golden pellet which is called elixir which is um kind of like the power-up item in the game um but it can make you demonic as well oh, okay the whole game is based on chi and you have genuine chi which is good chi and then demonic chi which is bad chi and the elixir enhances your chi so if you're a bad guy it can make you all demonic and sh I think I think is right. the premise anyway. You say bad guy. Is there a morality system in this game? Not for your character or anything like that. No, it's sort of like just your side versus their side. So I call them the bad guys. Right, right. So it isn't like a in the sort of mass effect. You'll make a decision and it'll give you some good morale, or if you make a bad decision, it'll give you some bad morale. It's just don't really have much like that. Right. Okay. What you were describing before, it was starting to sound a little bit like the toxicity mechanic in The Witcher, in the fact that when you consume it, it increases your no, no, demonism no. don't think of it as a mechanic no? it's purely a story beat oh right sure thing okay. It, okay the elixir is then an item in the game but it doesn't do anything like that but yes yeah, so the first phase is human form the second phase he takes some of that and you get a demon form and it's the second phase that's actually the brutal one if you don't know the or if you don't nail the deflection mechanic down in that it's gonna kick your ass a few times and it kicked my ass a few times but a really cool way to start the game and what does this boss look like basically beefed up version of the human form with sort of extra tendrils, glowy red bits all over it. And uh, I can't remember exactly what else there was in the first fight, to be honest. I've fought quite a few bosses since then, so. <laughs> they all merge yeah. into one. <laughs> Especially after your seven boss run on Neo as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, really good hard first test. You get through that, and then it's like Neo in a lot of ways, really, but main way is um, it's level-based rather than a big open world like in the Dark Souls that you then walk around. But the levels are well-crafted. Um, the enemy variation is better than Neo. It's pretty good. Um, the basic enemies, some of them are really tough, but some of them are nice and simple, which is a great mix. Um, you can have companions that come with you once you unlock them and swear over them. And again, it's kind of like the dinner the warriors guys okay okay are those companions replaced by the co-op gameplay if you choose to do that instead no idea because i've not messed with the co-op so i don't know anything right. about it but yeah. i would imagine so you probably want to do this one solo i would imagine on your first run absolutely or solo with companions maybe well, the companions I use more for the overworld because you can also, when you're with them and you kill stuff with them, you level up your friendship, if you like, for lack of a better terms with them. Sure thing. Okay, that's interesting. And that's going to unlock me some bonuses and things like that, which I have no idea what they are, But so I'm just sort of doing that. But for the bosses, I'm actually trying to do them solo for the most part because it seems the right thing to do. And actually, the AI is kind of sh 
with the companions, so they get in the way. <laughs> okay, sometimes. you can't trust them too much. Okay. Yeah, they're good for they're good in the overworld for distracting, um, and they can sort of help you out in a pinch. But they're very much a liability elsewhere. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and some of them are forced upon you for story purposes. So, um, you know, there's one mission so far I think I've been in where I didn't start with anyone, so I literally did it by myself. I can do it myself. Maybe one or two submissions, but one main mission that I can remember. But yeah, other than that, it's really, it's kind of a cross between Souls-like Sekiro, as I say, and also a little bit of Dynasty Warriors in, t- in the combat. Is that just in terms of the sheer number of enemies that you're fighting? It's nothing like thousands against one. Yeah, it's not like that, no. The genocide simulator, I think, Dynasty Warriors is sometimes <laughs> known as. And with good reason, to be fair. Yeah. You, you get through a lot of mobs in that game. No, it's not like that. Um, it's all based on, like, old Chinese conquests, isn't it? Like, loosely, I think, the Dynasty Warrior series is. I think it's a myth. I don't know if any of it's real. Right, right. But it is, it's the story of the Three Kingdoms. I don't know if it's Chinese, ancient Chinese history or if it's ancient Chinese myth. Or a blending um, I, of the two. Or a blending of the two. Yeah, I, really, mm. I genuinely don't know. But yeah, if you're a fan of Dynasty Warriors, you'll see a lot of the people that you know and love. I would give one spoiler. One of the bosses is Lu Bu, um, which if you've played Dynasty Warriors... I'm sorry, like, none of that means yeah. anything to me. I haven't personally played very much Dynasty oh, Warriors. Well, yeah, he's like a um, main badass sort of... Not quite... He's somewhere in between bad guy and good guy he's kind of neutral weirdly but he he is like the main badass soldier for like the big evil in dynasty warriors that's funny when you said uh the the dynasty warrior characters were in the game i didn't think that you meant they are literally in the game i thought you meant that you know they were just sort of like loosely based on or they had oh no they are literally that's awesome that's like the whole premise of the game is the three kingdoms story but right, okay. twisted around with this demon stuff that's come in. It's really, really cool. I mean, I'm not a huge Dynasty Warriors fan, but I played, I think, Dynasty Warriors 7 on the Xbox back in the day. Right. And, yeah. like, it's great fun. And and I love all this, like, you know, ancient, whether it's mythology or history, I love the whole setting of it. I think it's really cool. So to see that, but then Darker, which I also love, just top-tier stuff, really enjoying it so far. We talked a little bit last week about the morale system in the game, and I just wondered if you'd had a chance to get to grips with that yet. There's isn't really much to get to grips with to be honest with you you kill stuff a number goes up that you then if you find an enemy who's got a higher number than you they'll do slightly more damage to you and things like that okay it does have a bearing like it matters but it's like what we speculated we wouldn't have a problem with in that it's just sort of like passive buffs doesn't really affect your character otherwise like you can beat the whole game with zero morale if you wanted to yeah if you were good enough and you you learn the enemy patterns not that you would ever because just by killing stuff you gain morale so you'd always get some but it caps at 20 for like a perma buff that like if you die you then start with that again because basically the way we were worried that when you die and you lose it all it actually caps Caps off every time you raise a battle flag, which is your bonfire. Okay. okay. Um, and they also have like smaller flags that are marker flags that don't give you your health potions back, but they like heal you up and stuff like that. And they can lock in another fortitude point, which affects what your morale starts as. So if you have a fortitude of 20, whenever you die, you will start at 20 morale whenever you come back to life. If you have a fortitude of 10 and you have 15 morale and you die, you'll go back to 10. Oh, right. Okay. So there is a way of kind of saving and locking yeah. in your progress on that as well. Fine. Apart from the first few levels like of, of morale where if you die you'll probably go back to zero if you haven't got another flag it's actually quite forgiving so it does have an impact but not a sizable one so hasn't really been much to get to grips with if you see what I mean but um, it's quite a cool feature. I think it's quite nice because you get like super high bonuses to your own morale if you beat someone with a much higher morale than you. And have you noticed that it's actually stopped you from going down a path? Has it made you think oh shit, I'll come back later or have you just decided to... 
Nah. Yeah, you're still going for it. Yeah, I still go for it. Um, I, you know, not always successfully, but I typically do it more. I've started to learn some of the enemies now, and I'll do it more on. Okay, that's a tough enemy. I should probably clear out all of the weaker mobs so that I have more space to fight that one specifically. Yeah, that's kind of what I was talking about. So that you know, it, it sounds like it's having the desired effect in terms of how it's encouraging you to play. Yeah, it depends though, because you might see an enemy with twenty morale that's a quote unquote easy enemy, and you might be like, yeah, I can take that guy on. So it, it works both ways, I guess. Yeah, man. It sounds like you're having a really good time with this game. I'm looking forward to uh, hearing how your progress gets over the coming weeks. Yeah, yeah. It'd be interesting to see how long it is, to be fair. Do you have a rough feeling of where you are in the game currently? I reckon I'm about halfway through. Okay. I reckon in about 20 hours, which is probably about right. But yeah, very, very good. Um, I thoroughly recommend. And I've got to say, as a result of this, Koei Tecmo, very fastly, and Team Ninja, to be fair, are very quickly becoming some of my favourite developers here. <laughs> it's, uh, all the games I've played of theirs have been bangers, so... They've got quite a backlog, I think, of some games oh, to check out as well. Yeah. So, yeah, potentially you could have a fun time there. Yeah, but no, unless you have any more questions, mate, I, all I can say is I'm looking forward to playing more of it and I hope it continues exciting me because there's only one boss that I've really struggled, struggled with. And every time I died, it wasn't frustrating. It was just like, okay, I just need to learn how to beat this. And that's always a good sign so yeah yeah tough but fair how about you man what have you been up to this week uh so this week i've actually decided on the back of you know the sort of continuing news that we're hearing about zelda tears of the kingdom i've made it my mission to actually complete breath of the wild finally before the release of tears of the kingdom so this week i decided to take on one of the divine beasts one of the four divine beasts that are scattered across the map the one that i chose is i think it's called something like varnaboris it's like a giant mechanic well, and they are prime minister. I made steak and oven chips, which were very good. <laughs> It's a, it's like a giant mechanical camel that's hiding out, causing a ruckus in the desert, and uh, it's disturbing the Gerudo inhabitants of the desert. Your job is to quell the raging giant beast, and you do so by befriending one of the, the leaders of the town, who's actually a child. <laughs> because, yeah... <laughs> yeah it's kind of like a it's like a, a desert dwelling people it's a female only yeah. uh tribe and you need to actually sneak in by dressing link up in the sort of the female wear and sneaking past the guards that way uh you befriend the leader of the village the child and she sets you on a task to retrieve a special helmet which protects the user from the attacks of the giant mechanical camel so uh you retrieve the helmet after fighting your way through some caves and dungeons and you make your way back then you have to do like a surfing event where you take these sand dwelling seals they look very much just like regular seals but if you sneak up on them you can actually use them to kind of surf across the sand you do that along with your child companion and she protects you from the lightning strikes that the camel shoots out at you with her kind of protective field around her you have to be careful to stick nearby her during that encounter because if you spend too long outside of her protective bubble you end up getting kind of sniped by these lightning blasts right Okay. I'm surprised it's lightning. I would have thought it'd be fire in a desert. Yeah, uh, I guess they save the fire one for the giant fiery volcano that's in the oh, yeah. uh, sort of northeast part of the map instead. But this is the kind of the, the southwest desert instead. It's kind of opposite sides. Yeah, no, that makes more sense. Yeah, I didn't think of that. But you were uh, you eventually equipped with some bomb arrows. You sort of get near its legs, you shoot its feet a few times, and then you're able to board it. Then the dungeon proper begins, and it's time for you to start a puzzle section. Much like the other divine beasts on the map, the puzzle sort of involves you activating various sort of totems that are hidden around the beast, and you can actually use your uh, Link's got kind of like an iPad in this game. <laughs> yeah. He uses that to manipulate parts of the 
the beast to solve the puzzle. So you're kind of, imagine like a tube with three sections to it, like a cylinder on its side with three different sections that rotate. And you have to rotate these different sections of it to manipulate the platforms. And then you can kind of jump around the room, activating the different beacons. Right. Or the totems that I mentioned before. So, you know, there's a little kind of dungeon puzzle there. Much like all of them, I feel like a lot of them are way too short in Breath of the Wild. I'm hoping for much more lengthy dungeons in Tears of the Kingdom. But uh, you don't manage to get away straight away. Uh, you actually need to defeat Thunderblight Ganon before you go in, which is kind of like a, a part of Ganon's soul, I guess. I'm not entirely sure on the specifics of the lore in this game. That sounds about right. But you have to uh, fight this creature that is, you know, he starts off as a kind of ground-dwelling enemy that zooms around. You have to dodge his attacks, freeze him in time, and then sort of slash him for a bit. Eventually he gets tired of getting his ass whooped on the ground, so he flies up into the sky and starts shooting metal pins down into the ground, and then he uses his lightning ability to kind of cast lightning down into the metal pins, so you need to stay away from those. Uh, eventually you figure out that you can pull the metal pins out of the ground while they're being zapped with the lightning and actually use his own pins against him to knock him out of the sky. How do you take him out of the ground when they're being hit with lightning if that kills you? Uh, because you have your magnetic iPad ability that allows you oh, to manipulate right. metal objects Got like you. Magneto. See, I didn't do any of that when I was playing Breath of the Wild, so I don't know any of this sh I was just <laughs> running around. <laughs> Desperately looking for shrines. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I finally defeated Shadow Blight Ganon, and then doing so also nets you an ability where if you hold your attack button for a long time, you can kind of pull forth like a lightning storm around you, which does a load of damage to the enemies around you. Ah, so Thor mode. Thor mode, yeah, basically, exactly, yeah. You just kind of briefly turn into Thor, and you can do that like three times a day, I think. There nice. is like a mechanic in the game where you can upgrade your powers as well. I'm not quite sure what that does yet, but that's uh, that's my third Divine Beast down. One more to go in the aforementioned lava hellhole that is Volcano Manor, or whatever the f*** it's called in uh. Breath of the Wild. I'm going with Volcano Manor. Yeah, we'll go with that. So you're going to fight a big old snake boss next. I have no idea what What have you uh, thought so far? The birds, the I camel. The birds, the camel, and the elephant in the, the water zone. The water. Yeah. The bird one's really cool because it gets you an ability where if you hold the jump button, you can kind of like get a gust of wind underneath your glider and shoot up into the sky yeah. so you can get around a lot of the uh, more difficult puzzles just by using that ability really happy, and abusing yeah. it. But that's it, man. I'm hoping to uh, move now onto the volcano area, as we mentioned before. I finally complete this game at that point, and then I'll probably spend the rest of the time kind of meandering around the world as I do, but there's plenty more to do once you've actually finally beaten, you know, Ganon in the centre of the map. Doesn't he just keep on coming back to life ad nauseum, though? You could just keep beating him, can't you? Yeah, it, it functions the same as a lot of Zelda games, where once you've completed the game, there's not really a new game plus as such. It just spawns you outside the boss room. Yeah. That's basically, okay. yeah. If you want to beat it again, here it is. <laughs> it kind of gives you like a, a opportunity and an excuse for the world to still be inhabited by all the bad stuff in <laughs> yeah, the game. Exactly, yeah. Whereas if you defeated the boss, it kind of does beg the question if you kind of spawn outside after defeating it, why the world's still bad. Yeah, exactly. They should have gone whole hog though and brought them all back to life. That would have been quite cool. Or do what they do in Sekiro. You unlock their memory and then you can go into your bonfire equivalent and fight them whenever you want. I thought that was really I'm cool. wondering if there is something like that, like a boss rush in the challenge mode. I'm conscious that Maybe there is the a lot of DLC mode, for yeah. that game and, and hopefully they would think to do something like that there. But all of that sort of content I've yet to touch. So yeah, uh, yeah. Very but plausible. I may well come around to that uh, if I manage to complete this game in good time before Tears of the Kingdom. Two months you've got give or take we got some time we yeah, got some time right. other than that though man that's pretty much all me for the week i think it's time that we moved on to some gaming news so with our first news article of the day from our friends at gamerant one of these days they're gonna like 
they're gonna mention us. Giving them lots of free <laughs> I'm not love. your buddy, guy. <laughs> He's not your girlfriend. Rumors of a potential Suicide Squad delay, although it's unlikely that this will change any of the divisive game features. I thought it had been delayed. Uh, it has been delayed several times. I mean, this game was originally slated for 2022. It's now been set back to May 26th, 2023. It's um, not gonna come out then. I mean, no. Well, I mean that they're actually now talking about a. Re- delay that could even lead somewhere into 2024 which is the uh, the rumor although i think that currently that delay hasn't yet been confirmed it's just been strongly speculated you know the likes of jason schreier has has weighed in on this and uh put some weight behind the theories of a delay oh well and if he's saying it basically means <laughs> if schreier's saying it it's gospel <laughs> so this news article is actually more around the fact that this delay is very unlikely to change any of the game's most controversial features. Rocksteady, the makers of the Batman Arkham series, announced a new spin-off for the beloved Batman Arkham franchise way back in 2002, which is, you know, an actual sign of the development hell that uh, this game has undergone over those 21 years. Suicide Squad got a pretty icy reception during this month's PlayStation State of Play, thanks to the concerns mostly around the game's always online requirement, among other issues, like the the live service style features. As a result of the backlash, uh, rumours of the game being delayed past its former date in May 2023 have actually started to emerge. And as we said previously, the game could even be set back somewhere until 2024. Yeah, which doesn't really make too much sense to me because if they're not dele- if they're not changing the core mechanics of it, they don't need to delay it that long, I wouldn't have thought. Some of the statements that Jason Schreier's come out with is that the changes are there to essentially just polish yeah, gameplay saw, and do yeah. some final tweaks. Yeah, so yeah, it's, it's very unlikely that we'd see any changes there yeah, so why so why then does it need to be 2024 that's well crazy. it does indicate that uh the game needs a lot of polishing yeah, it's to need a lot of polish at this stage yeah well when i initially heard about these delays i thought that that kind of gave me some faith in this one that they were actually hoping to do this one right but then as the news of the sort of the battle pass started coming so, out yeah. and some of the more deeper live service elements I just thought that this was kind of destined to be uh, another Arkham Knights or, you know, more similar to uh, the Marvel Avengers title that, again, I had no interest in picking up once I'd heard that you had to sort of grind for skins and there was a whole, you know, ecosystem there in terms of money that you had to spend on the game. I wouldn't worry about that, mate. I don't think anyone really liked that game. <laughs> I think, I think yeah, you're not alone in that. And it hasn't, you know, it never managed to turn it around either. Uh, so this, you know, to me, it really does beg the question, you know, why they decided to make this game so live service heavy. I think that, of course, down to money, but I think that the main issue is, you know, this is essentially going to cost them money because I think that it is certainly going to affect sales at this point. So this is just kind of like another misguided decision. Obviously, I think we can both agree on that, but I think it's a shame that they've done this in a game that did have a potential to live up to live up to the original Arkham series titles. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know about that. I've only played Arkham Asylum and not a lot of it, to be fair. So I can't comment too much. But I don't know if this was ever going to be a massively good idea with the concept that they've got, which is going around and killing all heroes as the Suicide Squad, right? That to me sounds like a pretty fun concept. I'm down for that. Yeah, but outside, like, how would you do that? Unless it's the well, no, I guess you could do it as a single player game type. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of what I feel like this game should have been a single player game type that has online components, like kind of like Borderlands, jump in, jump out, almost co op style gameplay in that sense. That sounds like it's great. It's just the shame that they've taken that, they've run with it, and they've added in, you know, what's going to be skins, what's going to be additional levels and characters and 
things that you have to unlock. It's yeah. I don't know yeah, why I don't know why any of us surprised though. Oh, there's yeah. no surprise yeah. there. It's just more a comment on kind of it's a shame that these games are being the value of these games is kind of being eroded by microtransactions and battle passes and things that yeah. have no business being in a game like this, as far as I'm concerned. No, I don't disagree with you. Um, it's very smacks a lot of um, was it Battlefield Two. Battlefront 2, sorry, not Battlefield 2. Star Wars yes, Battlefront. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was, uh, you know, one of the higher profile games that released with a litany of issues around microtransactions and the amount of time that you would need to play the game without spending money on it to unlock characters being seriously questionable. Yeah, this smacks a bit of that. One of them ones where it's not necessarily going to kill the game, although I personally have no interest in it, but it's, it's not going to kill the game. It's just not a good look and will probably as you say negatively impact sales certainly short term yeah. uh, probably medium to long term as well though i'd be interested to know the pre-order numbers for this game and if they're actually starting to tail off now that more news about some of the deeper features of the game is coming out yeah it'd be an interesting one to see particularly given that this was you know originally set to come out in 2022 i think you said so people will have been waiting if assuming it comes out in 2024 like the rumor is you know at least two years if not longer for the game so yeah it will be interesting to see i i don't really know what was promised initially either to sort of see if they are going back on anything it sounds to me like this has been the plan all along so maybe there's the argument of you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into if you've pre-ordered it be interesting to see how it goes there's certainly a lot of backlash so maybe rocksteady will listen Okay, man, I think that's probably enough news about the Suicide Squad. You ready to move on to our next article? Let's do it. So next up, Diablo 4 beta test servers are, surprise, surprise, being absolutely crushed and people can't get in, complaining of seriously long, lengthy queue times. Yeah, that's that's gaming these days, isn't it? Well, I mean, this is a absolutely familiar situation for fans of Diablo. The issues that plagued the launch of Diablo 3, the dreaded Era 37, has made a return. So this release for the beta test has been very patchy. Uh, people are talking about disconnects during their game sessions, as well as just lengthy queue times getting in. This certainly paints a slightly worrying picture for the open beta that is coming up next weekend on the 24th to the 26th of March. It's something that I was definitely intending to get involved in. Now I'm wondering whether I'll even be able to get involved in, given the uh, connections with the closed beta for pre-orders. Do you have any interest in picking up this game or taking a look closer at this yourself, James? Not for the beta. They won't even bother looking at it till it's out and there are reviews. Uh, I love Diablo 1, love Diablo 2. Diablo 3 was very disappointing. Still fun, but very disappointing. I have a bad feeling about this one. What do you think that they are going to misstep with this? I just think they're not going to learn from any of the mistakes with Diablo 3. I think it's going to be similar to what we were talking about just now. I think it's going to be too auction house heavy. You're going to be concerned about sort of microtransactions yeah. and unfortunately, heavy. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. You would hope that the Diablo immortal title had sort of sated their hunger for microtransactions although i feel like that is hopelessly optimistic yeah. at this stage sated their hunger or proved it works that you know look at it either It'd way interesting yeah yeah um, but i hope i'm wrong because I'd, I'd love a reason to get back into diablo and if diablo 4 is good that would be wicked i just i can't put my finger quite on why i just i just don't think it's going to be great are you are you excited for it i've seen some gameplay that definitely makes me think that it looks like it'll be a fun game uh, is it actually gameplay combat... or is it like... yeah i've seen some actual combat gameplay okay. now uh, of some of the characters being uh being demoed and you know it does the combat does look fun it looks more rewarding uh than i found the combat in diablo 3 although that is you know purely 
purely speculative. I haven't had hands-on with the game yeah. myself at this stage. But I am definitely looking forward to getting hands-on with this when the beta does open up to everyone else, the, the people that haven't yet pre-ordered the game. Uh, so for me, this is definitely one to watch, but we will see whether I'm even able to play it next weekend. No, and I'll be looking forward to how you get on, because if it's good, as I say, I'm, I would love to get back into Diablo. Okay, man, I think it's time I'll take us on to the third and final article of the episode. A new game, supposedly in development, has been compared to Roblox for adults. Tell me more. This is kind of an interesting statement because, you know, Roblox, as many know, it's a massively popular gaming platform. The software, Roblox Studio, is a seemingly infinite platform for creativity in terms of developing games, which is actually a way of making money depending on the popularity of those games. And Roblox over the years has had some pretty impressive offerings in terms of a game that initially looks like you're playing as small Lego people walking around a slightly Minecraft-looking world. People have obviously developed several Minecraft spin-offs within Roblox, uh, based on the popularity of Minecraft. And free versions of a lot, well I say free, like spin-off versions of a lot of popular games as well. Absolutely, and I think some of the main clips I'd seen of Roblox up until this point were actually interestingly based off of Squid Games. Some people had taken it upon themselves to develop a load of games based off of the challenges that the contestants have to go through there. Some of the games looked very rough, but some of them also just looked like actually they could be really fun online experiences, kind of small things to try out every so often. So, you know, I've never actually delved into the world of Roblox. Uh, for me, it, it kind of has that reputation of being, as I said, a, a kind of more like Lego blocky looking game. However, some gameplay footage that I've seen recently has kind of left me absolutely dumbfounded and perhaps I've judged Roblox entirely too early. I don't know if you've seen any footage on YouTube, James, of a title on Roblox called Roblox Frontlines. Not at all, no. They've actually made a kind of Call of Duty clone within Roblox. And by Call of Duty clone, I mean like with serious big boy graphics. The game looks like a legitimate FPS. And if I were to show you footage of it right now, you would have absolutely no problem in believing that it was a completely new FPS title, completely unrelated to Roblox. It has even kill cams built into the game and things like that. It has some really advanced features for something that is essentially piggybacking off of a Roblox studio game development. That's impressive if it's true. Like that's, that's really, really, impressive, really yeah. impressive stuff. Uh, they had weapon customization, weapon attachments. It was straight up all the features that you'd expect in a modern day Call of Duty title were featured in Frontlines. It's insane I mean, that explains why Roblox is so popular, I guess. I've never seen it. So if there's now an adult version coming where this stuff's going to be sort of more at the forefront, that could be quite cool. I think that the main thing that the game needs is numbers and a community to actually take advantage of all the tools. Uh, it sounds very exciting. It sounds very promising. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing more about it. I personally haven't seen any footage of this game. Don't know if it'll be up my street in all honesty. I'm not the most uh, creative person in terms of like designing my own games and stuff like that, but certainly playing some stuff that other more creative people than I have made color me intrigued. Okay, man, I think that's enough gaming news for one day. It's time to move on to the long-awaited finale of Death Stranding as part of Completionist's Corner. Here we go for the Completionist's Corner. So, following on from the events of last week's episode, we've now met Hartman and connected his lab to the Chiral Network, as we covered last week. Sam has just a few more stops before he finally reaches the vast tar belt that is covering the area outside of Edgenot City, which is Sam's final destination. At least that's what you f***ing think at this point, anyway. <laughs> 
Oh, yes. <laughs> the next area Sam will visit, travelling down from the mountainous area, is absolutely full of fossils and remains from the past, therefore meaning that the surrounding area could be full of valuable information on the Death Stranding. At this point, we've already established that it's very likely that there have been previous Death Strandings millenniums ago, prior to the one that wiped out humanity. By looking into the events of the past, Bridges hoped to uncover the secrets of the Death Stranding. So our first mission in this area is to deliver some anti-Chiralian medication to a local geologist and connect him to the Chiral network. His exposure over time to Chiralium has made him begin to see visions of the apocalypse, similar to other doomed sufferers. He also reveals that the fossil beach in this area contains material from over 65 million years ago, so there is a hell of a lot of history in them their hills, and the land contains chiral contamination, furthering the theory that there's been multiple death strandings in the past, and the chiral energy that we previously thought appeared after the first death stranding that blew up and decimated humanity has actually been present in the ground in the form of fossils for millennia. So, after meeting up with the geologist, Sam sets on to deliver an antimatter bomb to a local paleontologist. As we found out last week, bridges are using these antimatter bombs to remove the layers of tar that's emerging from the ground, and the paleontologist can finally continue on his digging work once the tar is removed. Uh, I still find it hilarious that, uh, yeah, what's the way to go about sorting out this tar? Uh, atomic bomb. They leave us with no yeah. choice. Blow it up. Just can explode that just chuck an explosive in there <laughs> yeah. a nuke no less like a mini nuke yeah an antimatter yeah, nuke so yeah <laughs> sam arrives and delivers the antimatter bomb to the geologist and he then connects them to the chiral network we're not done here yet sam is asked a favor to recover a fossil of a million year old ammonite which is a sort of shells looking creature with several legs it looks a bit like is it Kabuto? Omanite, you're thinking of. I was about to make that joke myself because it's. All right, isn't it? Yeah, it looks like. Yeah, it kind of looks yeah. like an Omanite Pokemon, right? And according to the local porter who actually dropped the Ammonite, it looks like it's practically still alive. The geologist then goes on to say that it appears to have an umbilical cord attached to it, and he wants to study that umbilical cord further. This is obviously pretty confusing given that I'm pretty sure there's no records of an Ammonite ever having an umbilical cord or needing one for childbirth. Well, it's mammals only, right? Umbilical cords. Exactly, yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of the thing. Hartman goes on to confirm the theory that there are indeed no records of Ammonites having umbilical cords, and this discovery is likely extremely important in relation to understanding the Death Stranding. Why and how? Who knows? Hartman says it's the case. We'll believe him for now. Yeah, clever bloke. Hartman starts to build a theory that the umbilical cords could in fact be connected to the beach, and therefore would be useful in understanding the mechanisms of the Death Stranding. Sam sets out to recover the packages, including the one with our precious ammonite inside. He manages to avoid the poisonous gas building up using an oxygen mask. The gas is, I think it's called Vog gas, and it seems to be emerging from the ground during yeah. in and around the site of the dig. Although, I, to be honest, like with the free oxygen mask you get, it was such a non-factor this is the first thing that they've given you in the game where i thought okay you've actually just done that just for no reason it's you one use of those it things once and then you never need to use it again yeah i think that it's something that they develop more in the director's cut edition and down the line there are actual several missions where you have sort of high vog density and it's just right, another okay. element that you have to that's mitigate then, yeah. i accidentally found myself playing one of the director's cut missions early on where i had the vog thing and i, I was a bit confused wondering why because i'm pretty sure that you only experience vog in the main game going through that dig yeah. site unless you do some of the sort of later on side missions sam with quite a bit of ease as james mentioned manages to creep into the dig site recover all 
all of the packages, including the ammonite, and take that back to the paleontologist. On arriving back at the paleontologist, he asks you to take the ammonite to the local evolutionary developmental scientist to examine. This researcher is looking into how the chiral contaminated tar in the area may have influenced the development of various living organisms, sort of how it affected their evolution. Sam goes ahead and delivers the ammonite to the researcher, along with a collection of tar collectors for the research. The scientist is convinced that the tar in the area is connected to BTs and the Death Stranding, which obviously makes sense. It seems to be emerging from the ground yeah. during periods of increased chiral activity. Yeah, and whenever BTs appear, they tar is there. <laughs> so Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's it's pretty, it makes sense. Yeah, pretty directly <laughs> connected there. It's not a hard line to draw. Yeah. After connecting up the free settlement in the area, Hartman asks us to make our way back up the mountain, back to his lab for an update onto his research into the ammonite umbilical cord. The researcher has managed to beam him some information, so he, you know, obviously, unlike us that needs to trace back up the mountain, that scientist is able to instantly share the research. So, on arrival back at Hartman's lab, he reveals he's discovered loads of information about the chiral energy in the corpse of Mama, who, uh, if you remember from a couple episodes ago, had died when we carried her back up the mountain to be reunited with her sister, called Lochner. Mama's corpse has chiral matter within her very cells, Hartman explains, and this is actually the reason why her corpse hasn't decomposed all this time. A very good thing indeed, because as we know, if a corpse does reach a state of decomposition, position and necrosis, they will emit a BT that will then try and consume the nearest living human to it, causing a void-out explosion. Hartman reveals that the BT baby that was with Mama in our previous encounters with her was actually very special, and it wasn't only her child, but it was also a part of her own soul that was keeping her alive, or technically alive, considering that she didn't yeah. have any vital signs. Somehow, Mama's body and her mind failed to separate on her death, and they remain connected by the via the umbilical cord connecting her to her BT baby. Yeah, which was slightly confusing because we cut that sh We did cut it, yeah. and I think at that stage that was sort of the severing started. her connection yeah. and she started to die. Hartman also reveals that Dead Man snuck another umbilical cord into Mama's body bag when Sam originally took her from Mountain Knot City to Hartman's lab. This umbilical cord is a particularly special one and was actually taken from Bridget Strand, who, if listeners will remember, is the mother of both Sam and Emily, as well as being the previous now-deceased president of the United Cities of America. This cord, unlike most umbilical cords, wasn't attached to a fetus. It was actually hanging around somewhere outside of Bridget's body. Just yeah, around, they, they're, yeah, just they're kind of non-specific on where it was chilling. I like to think that she had a little tail umbilical cord on her back. Yeah, or it's like just a really gammy one on her shoulder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Before Bridget died, she gave her weird little umbilical cord to <laughs> Dead Man. <laughs> she gave her fucking gammy shoulder cords. Her gammy shoulder cord to Dead Man. Yeah saying that it was actually the key to the whole Death Stranding. She also insisted to never tell Die Hardman about this, which begs the question, why not? And also kind of furthers our suspicions around Die Hardman as well. Why would Bridget possibly want to conceal this umbilical cord from Die Hardman? Why indeed? The mystery develops. So, like Mama... Bridget's umbilical cord shows no signs of necrotization or decomposition. Hartman confirms that the lack of decomposition for Mama, as well as the umbilical cord, and the ammonite connected to an umbilical cord, is likely due to the large amount of chiral matter within their cells, preventing the flow of time. 
Hartman also suggests that all of these objects are connected to the beach, preventing them from being affected by the flow of time, in a similar way to how Amelie doesn't ever seem to age on the beach. As we kind of talked about last week, Amelie's soul is essentially sat on the beach, never aging, which is why she was able to appear the same to child Sam as she was to adult Sam. Hartman's theory is that the history of the Earth shows that there are deposits of chiral energy following each of the big five previous extinction-level events in the past. This suggests that manifestation of beaches corresponds to these extinction-level events, uh, and this suggests that humanity is currently in the end stages of what Hartman describes as the sixth extinction event. Hartman goes on to show Sam some images of a mammoth, uh, a dinosaur, and a Neanderthal man, all of which were discovered perfectly preserved and also had umbilical cords. This was such a cool reveal, can I just say? It was the creativity in Kojima's head to take all this stuff that is real life true science like you know they found woolly mammoths and stuff like almost perfectly preserved in ice twisting that round and making it death strandingy i thought that was really cool nice touch it makes it as realistic as it can be yeah, yeah. and he's trying to explain real life stuff with kojima bullshit yeah. which I'm all for. It's cool stuff, a cool way to tell stories. Hartman suggests that certain umbilical cords don't just exist for the sole purposes of childbirth, the reasoning for this being that species outside of mammals have been found with these umbilical cords. Hartman's theory goes on that these organisms with umbilical cords are all what he starts to call extinction entities. So these extinction entities, or EEs, are also connected to the beach via their umbilical cords, and the connection that they have to the beach somehow brings about the death stranding. So his theory there being that any organism with an umbilical cord is essentially the extinction entity themselves, a sort of a harbinger of death of a sort of a doomsday scenario. Which again also suggests that Bridget herself was an extinction entity. But she's dead. Yep, Bridget is dead. However, Sam does remember the time back at the beginning of the game when Higgs actually refers to Amelie as an extinction entity. He mentions this to Hartman who says that there may well be a connection and the fact that Bridget was an extinction entity, it wouldn't be at all a surprise if her daughter Amelie was also an extinction entity. It sounds like Sam missed out on the extinction entity gene because he doesn't have any, to my knowledge, weird umbilical cords lurking around. Yeah, well... We've certainly knows? seen enough of naked Sam to uh, to suggest that he doesn't have a creepy umbilical cord hanging yeah. around. Never seen his wang, though. Could be an umbilical cord. <laughs> He's just got a double wang. Which one's yeah. the umbilical and exactly. which one's the wang? Or just a single one. Just an umbilical cord. Just an umbilical wang. Yeah, I like that. We don't know. It's the only <laughs> part of him we don't see. Uh, so as the conversation rounds up, it's time for Hartman to take another beach nap to go look for his family. I love that that's what you're calling it, a beach nap. That's a beach nap, great. yeah. <laughs> he has a cardiac arrest, a beach nap, lovely little beach nap. Just a little beach nap. Yeah, I'm imagining like one of them little tents. Yeah, and his lovely little air-cushioned <laughs> lab, it's pretty awesome. To be fair, the air-cushioned lab's a great idea. Yeah, I, I think want that's that in great. My house. You can just pass out at any time. Exactly. I would have loved that back in my early 20s. <laughs> So after sending Sam off and telling him that it's now time to finally head all the way west and extend the network to the shores of the Tar Belt outside of Edgenot City, Sam will then need to proceed along to the shore and begin working to build the chiral relay that will extend the network all the way to Edgenot. There, Sam can finally rescue Amelie and defeat Higgs, or at least that's the plan so far. And can I just say, I was so glad that this mission didn't involve me having to get there, set something up, go and find like a thousand metal to build the distribution center. That's what I thought it was going to be. 
yeah, you were working the assumption last week that actually it was going to be quite a yeah. mission to develop this relay. Turns out that you just sort of load a bunch of stuff in your chiral carry cart and yeah. make your way down the mountain and load it all into what is interestingly shaped as a cross. It's like a yeah. absolutely destroyed piece of structure and then the kind of references and imagery there of this cross that you have to climb up, deposit the materials in, kind of, again, pushes that imagery and uh, the use of the words, things like the great deliverer, Sam, it kind yeah. of... Gets a little bit on the nose there. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of, yeah, like biblical references in this game. So as we just mentioned, Sam travels back down the mountain from Hartman's lab, arrives at the shore and deposits the large amounts of materials into the chiral printer, which begins building the signal relay. So after the signal is finally boosted, Sam now needs to figure out a way to get across the tar belt, yeah. which is surrounding Edgenot City. How did you get on with this, James? Did the game need to start giving you prompts to do this, or did you figure this out on your own? Initially, I didn't understand what to do at all. I was like, yeah, what the that's f- perfectly understandable. Like- the game does tell you that you currently don't have any equipment whatsoever to cross the tar belt, and it sort of leads you to just ponder there for a little bit. Exactly, and you get a call from Die Hardman who just says, uh, yeah, we'll think of something and get back to you. This really reminded me strongly of Metal Gear again, where you're kind of left there trying to figure out Meryl's codec number. Yeah, but then it's like, but you know, you might have had something in your past experiences that might help you, and it's like, okay, that's really cryptic and not helpful. Thanks, mate. I think he tells you to check your emails at some point. Oh, I didn't. I didn't get any of that because I, I, I did sort of. I did it accidentally quite quickly. All right. So okay. there's the peninsula bit that you can sort of walk around to, and I was just exploring, looking for an item, looking for something I might be able to use. And what I noticed in this peninsula was there was an unusually large number of BTs present. Yeah, like there's a lot of, unu- lot of like, BTs. Ridiculous. And you'd cut them down and then like two more would spawn back in. That's right. Maybe I've just been playing games for far too long. I don't know. That to me said, right, they want you to get caught by a BT here. Okay, you just kind of surmise and from lo and just behold, the number of pure BTs. Yeah, and lo and behold, you get caught by a BT and you get the whole draggy thing, but it drags you off in, like it drags you across. Straight across the tar belt, yeah. Well, it kind of, it, like, it, it's sucks you away into the tar belt yeah. and then submerges you in the in the tar. At that point, I suppose Sam technically dies and then repatriates and wakes up on the other side of the tar belt. Although I will say quickly that I think I got it wrong somehow because what ha- this is I actually have my first void out here, so I was getting dragged. You triggered across. your first void out. Yeah. So I was I was right, getting okay. dragged across, um, but then a big old fish BT came out and it ate me. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And that cratered me. I spawned back on the peninsula, no BTs about, so I was like, F- okay, I've, I've broken the game. But no, you just walk around the outside of your crater if that happens. And you get to the, and like, Amelie's standing in the tar, and you have to try and walk towards her, and then you get the sucking under thing that you were talking about. Oh, so that is a really cool time for you to actually discover that mechanic yeah. in the game, because what I'll reveal to you now, and I don't know if you're aware of this before, is at any point in the game, if you get defeated by a giant BT, you can create that yeah. crater in your map. I figured that would be the case but it never happened because i think i only fought the one squid sharky boy whaley boy bt that uh, just before the ship i, yeah, I ran away yeah. from the lion thing which you're heavily encouraged to do you're currently holding a living person exactly, on your yeah. back <laughs> and uh the only other times that i really got into it i ran away again the only other ones i fought was one that we're going to come up to like end game i actually triggered my first and only void out in the tutorial area of the game <laughs> somewhere in between the distribution center and the way station so it completely 
decimated every single one of my roots, uh, and I was I was pretty gutted about that. But that was on my first attempt at the yeah. game, and uh, I didn't have that experience this time around. Yeah, whereas mine is literally in a spot where I'm never going to go, so I don't care. It it's was just, it was a really cool way yeah. of uh, you discovering that, and a great timing to do yeah. it as well, because it sounds like you actually got something pretty unique out of it that I haven't seen myself. Yeah, and I also got that sort of roller coaster ride of I was genuinely worried I'd soft lock myself because the BTs <laughs> yeah, this yeah. bit, and I didn't think because when I first tried to walk on the crater, I must have accidentally walked into the sort of shim a bit and it just knocked me back it wouldn't let me pass so i yeah. was like I, I can't walk on it i'm f but then i sort of walked around the outside, and, the outside, the outside. i think sam even said on the screen he was like ah so i can walk around my crater to get to where i need to go oh, or right, something like okay. that yeah that's dope so in that situation you say that you kind of edged around the crater or in my situation i just got dragged into the uh the tar you kind of have a little vision uh of sam waking up again naked on the beach this time amelie is now sort of wandering past again Sing it, singing yeah. london bridge is burning down so in this vision as amelie walks towards the ocean sam follows her but before he's able to reach her he gets sucked underwater at this point then waking up on the other side of the tar belt as sam wakes up higgs suddenly appears taunting sam as usual being a right and uh, he tells him basically that they're in a race to the finish to find Amelie and uh, whoever gets there first wins the girl. Higgs teleports away, disappearing, and Sam is now in a real hurry to get to Amelie. But before he can, he obviously, you know, naturally needs to proceed to take a little nap and get the local distribution center online. Definitely needed a nap at this point. I had zero stamina. Yeah. Zero. <laughs> yeah. After the fact that, yes, after uh, causing that void out there, it really takes it out yeah. of you. I died and then was sprinting about looking for BTs. So I was like, I was dying. <laughs> and also worth noting, after that f***ing trek from Hartman's lab to the um, the place as well, I was just dead. Yeah, yeah, it's a long old it mission. Is. I was so glad to see the back of those f mountains i really was <laughs> did you uh finally no, don the all terrain you were ask well, that. No, god damn it james <laughs> that's why you hated the mountains yeah, it is. <laughs> but uh back to the story uh so emily actually appears in sam's private room and she goes ahead and tells him that actually in fact everything higgs has previously said is true she is indeed an extinction entity although she does actually tell sam that she doesn't want to be an extinction entity all she really wants is to bring everyone together whatever the f that means yeah. and she asks sam to promise her that he'll stop her from ending it all before she suddenly disappears yeah nothing like a bit of added worry and tension is there sam uh leaves his room understandably in a hurry but before he does he connects his bb and he's greeted to yet another vision so this time we see cliff unger hiding in a room shortly after being shot after having to escape the facility with BB in his arms. In this vision, we can hear a voice in the background that sounds like Die Hardman, the man who we also previously saw in a vision embracing Cliff Unger. John, shoutouts. Yeah, also known as John. Uh, so John, or Die Hardman, potentially, is trying to distract the security guards that are trying to break down the door. And then we hear another voice that sounds a lot like Amelie telling them to continue with their efforts in breaking down the door. The vision then ends as Sam reaches the top of the elevator from his private room. Sam's next order is now to finally use a network activation key to connect and enable his journey to Amelie's beach. At this point, Sam is also given a hamatic grenade launcher so they're starting to really kit him out with some serious weaponry now and I think even shortly after that you're provided with like a quadruple rocket launcher no, just to uh... well, yeah. rocket launcher so uh, Sam's next journey is to kind of work his way through an area full of ruined buildings clearly from previous void out explosions and the death stranding 
And he's pursued a lot of this time by sort of creepy tentacle jellyfish looking creatures. Yeah. Think uh think Netches from Elder Scrolls. Yes. Um so when I spoke about this earlier this week to Liam, he described them as Netches yeah. as well. I was thinking they also bear a bit of a resemblance to the stilt riders in that game as well. Oh, the silt striders. The silt striders, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. Yeah. The other one that I thought they looked like is they look like the Hannah from Mass Effect. Yes, they, exactly right. Like those, yeah, like a creepy Hannah. Yeah, and they also look like those, you know, in the very, like on Eden Prime, there's those gas ball things. Oh, the things that you can shoot at the very beginning of the Literally game. Yeah, those. yeah. All of those yeah. things. <laughs> so before he sets out and during this adventure, while you're sort of dodging these jellyfish looking, Hannah looking, cloud people these looking, squid looking motherfuckers. <laughs> Uh, you might actually notice that the package that Sam is carrying in quotes the network activation key does somewhat resemble a BB pod. Although you can't see if there's a baby inside yeah. it, it is actually blacked out glass. Yeah. So after finally delivering the, again, in quotes, network activation key, Di Hardman finally explains that Sam is complete with his journey of reconnecting America. Even if a chiral link along the way is destroyed, the network will endure. So even if the terrorists come along and blow up one of the distribution centers, the network signal is at this point so strong that it covers the entirety of what is left of America. So we won the end, right? We did it! Did no. we? Credits haven't rolled yet, James. Time to defeat Higgs. So Sam's main mission now is to reach Amelie and rescue her before Higgs gets to her. Sam returns to his private room first for yet another quick rest. It's it's a long journey dodging those jellyfish. And, you know, at this point, I don't think that there's... I think Higgs is a little bit slow. This is kind of tortoise and the hare kind of thing here, for sure. Sam goes back to his womb, but awakes from a very freaky nightmare featuring a giant Amelie walking up a beach and Higgs taunting him along with lots of various body-swapping bits where Amelie appears in Higgs outfit yeah. and at, at that point that's just all kind of like hallucination and Higgs dream bullshit I don't think that's really anything in the game yeah, yeah, yeah. other than perhaps some slight foreshadowing of the encounter that we're about to have potentially yeah Sam, as I mentioned, snaps out of the nightmare and quickly leaves his room. Whilst he does, he connects BB once again and is greeted to now a vision of a, a bloody-faced cliffhanger singing a lullaby to his BB as the sounds of beating on a door echo in the background. See the sunset, the day is ending. Sam snaps out of the vision and leaves the distribution center. At this point, very suddenly, he's greeted by a giant humanoid BT, which resembles the giant BT that emerged from the original Death Stranding at the start of the game. And of course, Higgs shortly follows behind. Literally behind, actually. He kind of grabs Sam from behind yeah. and sort of drags him forward using his chiral powers. And that floaty golden mask. Yeah, he's got a, yeah, like the floaty gold mask. He's able to sort of turn himself invisible, use his mask. He likes taking his mask off and slapping it on other people's yeah. faces and licking people yeah he, is a, he likes to lick doesn't yeah. he it's not great you little pervert yeah he, he's a real sadist this guy he seems to get a lot of enjoyment out of causing people discomfort both sort of mental and physical so Higgs is doing his usual thing taunting Sam talking about the end of the world once again telling you that Amelie is indeed an extinction entity at this point he points over to the giant humanoid BT that is lingering in the background and shows Amelie suspended in a gold like substance on the chest of the BT creature. Higgs goes on to explain that his ultimate goal is to trigger what he is calling the last Death Stranding, the sixth extinction event to end all existence, the inevitable demise of every living being. And according to Higgs, this is actually the job 
of Amelie as the final extinction entity. Very soon, she will merge all beaches together into a single shore, triggering an explosion of antimatter, causing the last stranding and the eradication of all known life. Higgs then teleports over to the giant BT and challenges Sam to a final fight. So Sam, equipped with his hematic rocket launcher and grenade launcher, manages to put enough rounds into the BT whilst avoiding shooting Amelie. Yeah, I shot Amelie a few times. Stop it! You'll kill her! I was just shooting everything gold. <laughs> Anything that and moves. And I occasionally hit her in the and head. That's a lot and of she moving. sort of went, ah! And I was like, oh, sorry, mate. <laughs> so using his arsenal of high-powered, hematic weapons, he finally manages to defeat the giant BT. So after being defeated, the giant colossal BT creature shatters into gold fragments, as do most of the other BT creatures when you defeat them. So from the rubble emerges Amelie, who is then snatched by Higgs, who starts firing a gun at Sam. And now these are lethal rounds, because Sam is getting pepper and blood's coming out not not before bb has a little go at trying to save him though right yeah absolutely bb is not impressed with higgs at all yeah. actually bb in this situation he starts using the odradex scanner to deflect some of the bullets ninja style which is it was cool. a really cool cutscene. yeah this frustrate higgs enough that he actually fires a couple shots which then hit and damage the container that bb's hiding in yeah. so at this point sam has been peppered with a few bullets as well as bb being shot at He's very distressed and concerned for BB's welfare, and he succumbs to the wounds and actually travels once again into the seam where he's able to repatriate on death. Sam then reawakens after being treated to yet another gross repatriation scene where BB kind of appears within Sam's throat before sort of then being expelled from his mouth. Sam then reawakens in the street nearby where he defeated Higgs' giant BT. Di Hardman then phones up Sam and tells him that Higgs has captured Amelie to her own beach and he intends to use her to begin the sixth and final doomsday extinction event. Sam then heads back to his private room to get in touch with Fragile, who's able to use her chiral teleportation abilities, along with Sam's dreamcatcher, to travel to Amelie's beach. And that one didn't take me long to figure out. They're like, we need to find a way to get to Amelie's beach. She's like, I'm just going to talk to Fragile. Yeah, she can teleport, yeah. yeah. Sam reassures Fragile that he'll try and take Higgs alive so she can find finally get her revenge and the answers she desperately seeks as to why he betrayed her in the first place. After being teleported to Amelie's beach, Sam wakes up and looks over to see Amelie in red standing in the distance next to Higgs. Higgs, as he likes to do, slaps his gold mask on Amelie's face and suspends her in a chiral web, trapping her from escaping. And now we finally begin the final showdown against Higgs, or the beginning of the final <laughs> showdown against Higgs. Yes. So, James, how did you find this boss battle? Uh, too long is the honest answer. It was, it was, it yeah. wasn't difficult. What were your methods of uh, of beating Higgs? He teleports away. I wait for him to reappear. I run towards him and punch him in the face. That was my method. Okay, okay. Uh, but there are a lot of times where he tries to avoid you. Did you not run into difficulty eventually using that technique? There was occasionally I'd get to where he was and he'd teleport away again. And there were some occasions yeah. where he'd be firing his gun and I and I'd have to use rocks or the dead whale that's conveniently placed in the middle of the arena to sort of block sort of that. strafe the gunfire um, yeah but yeah it, it, it wasn't too bad but my main issue with it was is that you do like a first phase where you have to hit him six or seven times that's you right you then yeah. get to the second phase where you have to do basically the same thing hit him six or seven times at that point he kind of sort of throws away his yeah. gun and then takes out his chiral blade and you have a kind of a knife yeah. fight and this instead. one was even easier because he, he delays his attacks and when yes, he did attack he does, as well yeah. i don't know if this was the game bugging out or if it's just how it's meant to be it looked like he sliced me but i lose no health and didn't a hit didn't register oh okay i don't know okay. if it's because my punch animation just
Scott him just before and it was maybe some sort Could of... Could be, yeah. I don't know. Iframes to the maybe, punch yeah, or but something. It was, yeah, but it was a bit of a weird one. There's a couple different ways that you can take on that boss fight that might have made it a little bit easier. Right. I, w I was wondering if there was an alternate strat because it didn't seem like I was doing the right thing with the amount of time it was taking. Yeah, I, so I think in that situation you might notice that there is packages around the environment. Yeah. And as I mentioned to you in previous weeks, you can both attack with the package in your hands to do more damage, which would have probably reduced the amount of time. I didn't know that did more damage. I did think about throwing them at him, though. And also, to prevent him from teleporting away, as you've just mentioned, you can throw the packages at him to prevent him from doing that, which again increases your window to beat him up. So you can probably reduce the amount of times you had to catch him in a melee move yeah. by chucking packages at him and, and, and using the package to cause more damage. Yeah, that's fair. Then, in the second phase, and this was a really weird one, my head just went weirdly back to Metal Gear Solid Snake Eater, the final boss fight with boss, uh, you know, before Snake becomes big boss, yeah. where you actually, if you stand there and you use CQC, you can defeat the boss. My head went there, I pulled out my strand, and in that second phase, you can just let him appear to you, you can dodge his attack by pressing a prompt on the screen, and then beat him up with your strand. Is your strand the rope? Strand is the I've rope that you carry that around. So that's really useful in defeating the terrorists, because if you pull your strand out and ready it, if they lunge at you to attack, you press a button prompt to dodge around them, and then you obviously, you know, emerge from behind them, you can press another button to just tie them up. You can almost chain fight the terrorists in the game, provided they're not ones armed with actual guns. You can just kind of repeatedly dodge, tie up, dodge, tie up. It's a really powerful tool. Yeah if you use it and if you if you figure out just how powerful it is. It's another one of those things where I was saying some of the gameplay mechanics in the game, they trivialize stuff later on. Once I discovered just how useful the strand was, I was getting real, real ballsy around the mules and the terrorists. Yeah, yeah. But again, if, if it's something that you hadn't toyed around with early on in the game, you'd have no way of knowing just how useful it was in the Higgs boss fight. And I didn't because for the most part, I didn't fight things in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Avoidance has paid off quite well for us during this playthrough. Also means that we probably didn't have as many BT encounters as we could have had, but you know, hey, that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. I think it's a, a big part of the game, avoiding those sort of confrontations. I thought that was the whole point. Yeah, it absolutely is, yeah. Until you get so powerful that you're wandering around with a grenade launcher and a quadruple rocket yeah, launcher. that's true, yeah. <laughs> There is actually a third phase to this boss yeah. fight after you have disarmed Tiggs, and this is probably the point where you're talking about it going this on too long. This is the pointless phase, yeah. This is the pointless phase. <laughs> cool cinematics. Cool cinematics in the game. The game kind of greets you with Tekken-style health bars across the top of the screen, and it's just you and Higgs duking it out. Yeah, and it literally has, it's like, if you played Tekken, I want to say five, where they have Steve Fox, the boxer, or if you've played any of the UFC games where you can hold your block and then you can actually bob and weave and do your head movements, it has all that. Yeah, that's right. You use your trigger keys yeah. to bob and weave and pull a defense, pull a block, and then do a punch. Yeah, and it's a cool little mini game, right? But it, it's the health bar is too big. I will agree with you there. The health bar is too. That's a lot of punches yeah. you have to give Higgs before you actually like knock him There's out. There's zero <laughs> threat because every two or three hits you get on him a cryptobiote comes out and you can just hit a button prompt where you basically shove Higgs in the face so he's like oh what are you doing I can't do anything and then you just eat a cryptobiote and recover all your health yeah the game doesn't want you to die yeah. here it's 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 a very odd implementation of a final stage of a boss fight I will give you that 100% yeah and yeah and just again me being slightly stupid and taking longer than I probably should have done with the other two bits just having then this and also yeah. full disclosure because you told me you finished it in one sitting I was determined to do the same so this is probably like coming up to midnight right yeah you were on a late one and i was on this just episode. like oh, come on man just f 
fucking end yeah. game end no sorry no sorry this wasn't midnight at this point but i ended up at like one finishing the game yeah i think this was at like nine nine or ten p.m and i was like yeah mate you're dragging a bit come on i want to go to bed little yeah, did yeah, i know I what think fucking that happens next kojima has a very weird tendency to sort of draw out the end of his games which will include both backtracking as well as sort of weird segments of the game i mean in metal gear solid 4 particularly what's memorable is the long snake crawling into the reactor scene at the end where you basically just have to mash a button for like two or three minutes yeah. and also uh you do get a sort of a tekken style duke out fight between snake and ocelot at the end of metal gear solid 4 as well complete with health bars and everything so stupid yeah <laughs> this that's the film director and him coming out there isn't it? yeah and also he just likes to play around with genres and uh it's another excuse to slide a weird mechanic into yeah. the game unfortunately Hideo, and it was annoying <laughs> unfortunately james did not appreciate your efforts no thing sucks but this wasn't as egregious as what happens next <laughs> what happens shortly yeah. so after defeating higgs and finally knocking him out he drags him ashore higgs at this point recovers wakes up and tells sam that he didn't actually manage to stop jack the death stranding has already started and uh it's too late basically typical bad guy yeah i don't know why sam dragged him out i'd have let him drown well he kind of had promised fragile previously oh, yeah. that he Sorry, would keep him true, alive yeah. so that she can torture him and yeah. uh you know get her answers that's true i still <laughs> let him drown though at this point fragile then appears and sam pretty much leaves her to her own business and goes to retrieve amelie from the chiral web that she was suspended in at this point higgs tries to escape uh, using his chiral powers, but we discover that Amelie has actually cut him off and he no longer can use his powers that he draws from Amelie's beach. Feeling defeated and very sorry for himself, Higgs is at this stage just sort of uh, lying on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Sam goes over and gives Fragile an assault rifle and he tells her that she finally has her chance for revenge. At this point, he then leaves to go speak to Amelie away from Higgs and Fragile. And during this scene, they're sort of, you know, they take a while to catch up. Amelie is also very protective of Sam and cold to Fragile. At this point, Amelie really gives Fragile the cold shoulder and she leaves, obviously quite upset. Sam doesn't make much of an effort no. to uh, encourage her to stay. He does thank her for all of her help but at this point you can clearly tell that sam just wants to uh to sort of spend the time catching up with amelie yeah, just wants it all to be so, over, <laughs> yeah so very respectfully uh although it does upset her fragile then disappears back from the beach i should also mention at this point whilst sam and amelie are speaking you do hear a gunshot ringing in the background suggesting that fragile has indeed finally finished higgs or has she now, uh, with Thragile having disappeared, Amelie reveals to Sam that actually she wasn't trapped in the beach all this time, and she even visited Sam in person at certain points during this story. So we were lied to, and Amelie was not trapped on the beach whatsoever. She was actually able to even teleport in person to Sam, faking herself as a chiral hologram. And this was all in the effort of convincing Sam to actually reconnect America. She created the whole conspiracy. She was working alongside Higgs the whole time and this was all her grand master plan was to actually finally get Sam the great deliverer to travel all the way across America to rescue her meanwhile as a kind of a side objective connecting up the Carl network Amelie reveals that her motivations for wanting to connect the Carl network is again as she mentioned before her ambition was to make everyone whole again and re-establishing the Carl network was part of that plan yeah. very interesting choice of words yes yeah again making everyone whole connecting all the beaches so Sam is obviously quite pissed about having been lied to for the entirety of the game and travelling all the way to America. 
He even kind of refers to himself as Mario and Princess Peach. Yeah. He's, he's, you know, <laughs> are you ready for the really painful line in the game? I'll definitely splice this one in the sound effects. Uh, you then get the infamous line where Amelie refers to both Sam and herself as Mario and Princess Beach. Like Mario and Princess Beach. At this point, inexplicably, Sam and Amelie decide that they need to travel back east, and in order to achieve this, Sam and her both just need to kind of run down the beach together. I mean, considering they're not in a technical, physical realm at this stage, and they won't actually be travelling anywhere in the real world back east, I'm really not sure how this quite makes sense. But we're treated to a long scene of a very beaten-up Sam running down the beach alongside Amelie, who's wearing high heels and somehow able to keep her balance in the sand. And somehow go quicker than Sam as well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Finally, after running uh, in a very long, slow montage running scene, they finally stop at a precipice where Amelie tells Sam to wait behind while she goes up to check something. And Sam duly obliges her for no reason, completely unsuspicious of anything. I was like, I heard that and I was like, oh, f sake. Here we go. Okay, (laughs) what's next? Video game logic. So Sam eventually does get tired of waiting for Amelie to return, so he actually creeps up onto the rocks himself and stares over at the precipice. At this point in the distance, he sees what at first looks like Amelie in a white dress, with Di Hardman now standing in front of her, staring her down, pointing a gun at her. As the scene closes in, we actually recognise that this looks like a younger Bridget before she had cancer, uh, bearing somewhat of a resemblance to the lady who Sam had in his Polaroid picture standing next to him, clearly uh, taken from a time when Bridget was not yet unwell. Die Hardman at this point tells her that she was supposed to reconnect everyone, not f*** everyone up. It was said that you would destroy this and not join them! And he actually attempts to shoot her with the gun. The bullet, however, passes straight through her and Bridget is completely unharmed. Suddenly, from the ocean, Cliff Unger and his soldiers appear and approach Bridget and Die Hardman. At this point, we get absolute confirmation that Die Hardman is indeed John from the previous vision, as it is made very obvious by the way that Cliff Unger approaches Die Hardman that they have a lot of history together. This is sort of further reinforced by the fact that although that you don't get to see Die Hardman's face, Unger does remove his mask and recognise him as John and the man from the visions that we see whenever we connect BB. Yeah, and it almost look like um, Unger had some sort of internal struggle there. Absolutely. He does kind of point his gun at him initially, but then he changes his mind. And I didn't know if this was because it's kind of beach Unger rather than actual Unger. So he's like got the memory, but he doesn't quite place it. Because he's like, I think that's he's, a very good like, interpretation of it. Ja, ja. And he's like, yeah, John, John. But Unger doesn't quite get it. And he sort of goes upset, but then goes serious again and is like, that's right. He has sort of like, it, yeah, you're, you've described it really well there. It's like a brief moment of reflection on his previous yeah. previous Unger before he was sort of so consumed by hatred. Yeah. After having this moment between Cliff Unger and Die Hardman, Bridget then turns Unger's attention over to Sam, who's standing looking at this all going on from the precipice. Unger now turns all of his attention towards Sam, and the soldiers begin to close in. At this point, Amelie, in a red dress, suddenly appears next to Sam and pushes him off the ledge into the ocean, telling him to escape. The sudden shock of being pushed into the ocean and into the seam causes Sam to suddenly awake back in his private room, where he's visited by Deadman. Deadman explains at this point that Sam's been unconscious for quite some time, and quite a bit of time has passed since he escaped from Amelie's beach. 
Since then, Emily has directly contacted HQ and left a message saying that she's going to finish what Bridget started, and that was about it before she hung up. Die Hardman at this point is still missing and has been for some time, and they suspect that he's currently being kept hostage on the beach by Unger. Who is now rumoured to be the big mastermind of this whole thing. Exactly. So Deadman is now working on the theory that Cliff is in fact the mastermind behind all of this, as unlike expected, we thought that Higgs previously was pulling all of the strings. However, that wouldn't make sense. We've now defeated Higgs, and Cliff Unger is still clearly knocking about, and he's pissed. Yeah. Worth noting, though, at no point did I think he was the big guy. Even when this reveal was made, I was like, it's not Unger, though. Yeah, I always thought that Unger was very much like a pawn being used. I thought he was a good guy. They sold it well. Yeah. Yeah. So at this stage, almost everyone, including Lochner, Fragile, Hartman, and of course Deadman, are all sat back east, all the way back at the beginning of our journey. They tell Sam that he'll now need to head all the way back east in order to reach them so that they can use Fragile's powers to teleport Sam to Amelie's beach and rescue her. However, there is a catch here. During the time that Sam was unconscious, it's become an absolute chiral nightmare. The network is in shambles, there's constant interruptions between the flow of chiral energy, and everything's gone to sh- basically. And you know that really neat fast travel mechanic that we unlocked in like early part of the game that we haven't really used because it's kind of, you don't really want to use it with packages? Perfect mission to use it, right? False. Not so, because the chiral network is interrupted and you are unable to fast travel, meaning that you now need to travel on foot all the way back through chiral storm, BT infested territories, all the way from point Z back to point A in the game. How did you find this, James? How did this revelation go down with you? I kind of expected it because I remember we had a conversation ages and ages ago where I don't even think we were talking about Death Stranding, but you told me that Kojima likes to do a lot of backtracking. Yes, yeah, like a victory lap yeah. of his own game. Yeah. So there was, <laughs> there was a part of me that almost saw it coming, but I was still like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? My main concern was I for a brief scary moment i was like do i have to go back over those f***ing snowy mountains because i hated that <laughs> really i didn't enjoy that at it's all. because you denied no, it yourself no, my own fault. necessary features no, you're absolutely right it's my own fault i can totally appreciate why you didn't enjoy yeah. it absolutely yeah. <laughs> it actually wasn't too bad when you actually got into it you can take the route that kind of goes around the i suppose it's the southern side of the mountain instead of the northern side of the mountain you can actually cut out a significant portion of that journey i, I think you described it last week as a banana yeah. You can avoid the entire banana route around the north side yeah. of the mountain and get straight back into kind of back near the Elder and that sort of place within the map, the sort of central region, if you take the different side around the mountain. Yeah, so what I did was instead of doing what you've just described, they're all going back as I came. So almost kind of like an M shape because you start off there, you go up north and then you go back past the distribution center and then you go back up. Um, I actually kind of as the crow flies it. I went from point Z, as you called it, and I kind of crossed over a relatively steep single mountain and then just sort of ro- ran back down the, the mountainside and ended up back um, kind of across the river from Mama's lab. Yes, okay. And then I yeah, just walked yeah, sure north thing. from there. And obviously I knew from earlier in the playthrough that there was a road that connected the distribution center south of Lake Knot City all the way back to Lake Knot City really nicely. So from where I crossed over the mountains, I just trekked on up to 
that distribution center and then lovely little road journey just come back in avoided all the mules which are now terrorists i think i think everything was terrorists by this point yeah they kind of upgraded yeah, yeah. but managed to avoid all of them i uh, had one scare where they were chasing me but it was fine um and actually it didn't take as long as i thought it was going to no i think all told my journey took me about 15 minutes actually yeah i was gonna say i think mine was 15 20 yeah which is really good considering how long it took us to get all the way from point a to point z and also particularly good because i chose the as the crow flies route like 15 20 minutes is perfectly reasonable when i'm being an idiot like that because it's, yeah. it's not the most yeah. efficient it's good for ease but it's like you have to pick where you climb the mountain very carefully otherwise you'll fall off that's right i can imagine that a lot of people will be extremely distressed about finding out this news that you need to track all the way back to the beginning of the game and i, I think that that is understandable yeah. but as you say it's because it seems further than it is though like you said yeah, it is yeah if you take the right shortcut and even if you don't take the right shortcut i think that also though it's a really good opportunity to see just how far you've come in terms of your ability to traverse the environment yeah not only because you can now uh, sort of use structures that are through the whole environment all of the areas you'll be travelling back through are connected to the Carol network which obviously makes things a lot easier but also it's sort of a really good way to test the network that you've built throughout your journey on the game if you've been placing those zip lines if you've been placing those things that you can use like that and you've been making the use of other players then it really benefits you in terms of the speed that you can make that journey back on one hand I can see it as a lot of people are going to hate that idea that they're basically backtracking for the entire game on the other hand it kind of it really really proves the uh the concept behind what you're actually trying to do yeah and i think if i do play this game again i'm gonna play it more like that setting up yeah, network points yeah. as i go because i know as well that there's more backtracking that we've already done so of I, course so I yeah think, quite a significant amount in yeah, fact like yeah. i'm gonna be doing zip lines up and down every mount like sizable mountain and stuff like that but the real joy in the game is getting to a point where you've connected every single peak in the game with a zip line yeah. so you can just travel anywhere at any time yeah. really fun stuff anyway so back to the story so before we set out on our long long journey back to the beginning of the game sam sees another vision again from the perspective of bb in a pod bridget is standing in the room in a white dress telling die hardman or john that the baby that is inside the pod is a bb candidate in this scene as well she's kind of weirdly actually wearing die hardman's mask so obviously die hardman hasn't yet adopted the mask and it's actually currently being used by Bridget for some reason instead, probably to hide her identity. And she seems to have high hopes for this BB within the pod. She says that it's a bridge to a new future and, uh, you know, she's clearly all behind the sort of the BB research. Deadman also discovers that the experiments that triggered the initial void out that were supposedly cancelled were actually continued by Bridget Strand. These experiments, under Bridget's orders, were continued with apparently the objective of preventing BTs and avoiding void outs. However, that was quite the opposite, and the primary goal of these experiments were actually to enhance and develop the chiral network, although they were saying on the record that that research was purely secondary to avoiding BTs. So in fact, the primary goal of research into BBs was actually to use them as catalysts of the activation of the chiral network. And this kind of brings us back to the network activation key that we talked about. We actually discover that all of the centers along our journey, somewhere inside them, have a little BB. Yeah. And this is kind of the dark, evil history of bridges, is that in order to develop their chiral technology that's supposedly meant to save us all, BB technology involves obviously chemically inducing still mothers into comas, as well as keeping 
keeping undeveloped babies alive in kind of preservation chambers. All of this sounds like, on a moral scale, very shady stuff, and it becomes apparent that Bridget is in fact behind all of this. Yeah, even speculated that the first run by uh, Bridges 1 was actually to install the BBs rather than to connect the chiral network like we've done. That's correct. That was a dark twist I didn't see coming in. Yeah, and also part of the whole reason, you know, it starts to bring into suspicion, surely Amelie knew about this if she was taking all of the uh, the Bridge babies along as well as part of Bridges 1. She can't have been blind to it. So this is the dark secret that Deadman describes as both Bridges' proudest achievement and their guiltiest sin. However, in order to find out more about this, we suspect that this actually has to do more with Cliff Unger and his history with Bridges. Then, further down our journey, back to Port Knot City, Deadman contacts us again to explain his discovery that Cliff Unger actually put his child willingly into the care of Bridges. However, at the time, he was unaware of their true intentions to turn his child into a Bridge baby. Obviously, on finding out this discovery, he wasn't happy and attempted to reclaim BB and escape, much like we've seen in a lot of the visions and cutscenes before. All starting to make sense now. Yes, this is starting to explain why Unger has such a grudge against Bridget and Bridges. Yeah. Deadman suggests that the hate against Bridges is actually driving him to trigger the Death Stranding, and in fact is actually the reason why he's able to return from the dead along with his battlefield beaches. As we mentioned in the episodes in the earlier coverage of this game, we talked a lot about how chiral energy is very closely connected to emotions and feelings in the game, and this power, such strong emotions of wanting revenge after failing to rescue his BB, which enabled Cliff to actually emerge from the seam and come back to life. It's all Kojima bollocks this, but it's great. It's clear at this point that Unger is aware that Amelie is an extinction entity and Deadman thinks that he's going to use Amelie to trigger the last strike. So Sam really needs to get a move on and save her. If you're wondering how Cliff Unger was able to travel to Amelie's beach, they suggest that the connection in fact wasn't to Amelie, but it was instead to the director, Die Hardman. And they also explain that to understand this, they'll need to delve a lot more into the history of Die Hardman and Cliff Unger. This also kind of explains the fact why Cliff Unger is also holding Die Hardman hostage as well as Amelie. He clearly has deeper intentions here other than just sort of triggering the last stranding. Sam also is told by his team that Amelie's beach is special and on a higher plane of existence than the other beaches, and this is indeed sort of the ultimate beach that connects all of them together. King of the beaches. King of the beaches. Cliffhunger's goal is to seize control of Amelie's beach and use it to bring about the beginning of The Last Stranding. Sam obviously needs to get to Amelie's beach as soon as possible to stop all of this from happening. Just as Sam approaches Port Knot City on our last leg of the journey, he gets sucked up by the same supercell as usual, and and as he's doing so, he sees a vision of Bridget, now in the room with Unger, urging Die Hardman to shoot him. We hear a gunshot as the vision fades to black. Sam, this time, wakes up in a jungle battlefield and avoiding any sort of risks from the spectral soldiers that are appearing around him. We're then greeted to another cutscene of Cliff emerging from the water, as he likes to do, or, you know, what looks like black tar, I suppose, yeah. surrounded by his troop of soldiers. So, after finally defeating all of Unger's soldiers using a variety of weapons around the battlefield that he's able to scavenge, Sam then finally gets a moment to speak with Unger. Sam and Cliff Unger have a bit of a moment here, 
at this point, uh, he seems to be much less rageful than normal and actually gives Sam his dog tags. Sam reciprocates by letting Unger hold Lou as he's clearly dying, and Unger then embraces Sam and disappears with the sound of a gunshot suddenly. The same gunshot that we heard ringing in the vision that Sam just experienced where Amelie was ordering Die Hardman to shoot Unger. So at this point, surely Unger's not the bad guy, right? It's all getting very confusing. Sam sees another vision, this time back in the room where BB is being held in a pod. He sees Die Hardman slash John telling Unger to take BB and escape, although he can't help him with his wife, who is clearly still in the container in some sort of coma. At this point, it becomes very obvious that Die Hardman was actually trying to let Unger escape from the facility with his BB. We find out that Die Hardman was actually in Unger's unit in the past, and Unger had actually saved his life multiple times, earning his loyalty and respect. We're starting to get some explanation here as to why Die Hardman and Unger have such a complicated relationship. Sam, after defeating Cliff, finally, he wakes up in his private room after being caught in the supercell. We wake up on the other side of the lake, and Sam is now convinced that Cliff is actually BB's father. Sam goes ahead and shows Deadman the dog tags that he was able to rescue from Cliff from the supercell. And while Sam was away, Deadman also found a message from the director, Die Hardman, labelled, If I Don't Come Back. They open the hologram to see Die Hardman pacing. He explains that Amelie gave him a doll, uh, which looks like a kind of a creepy child's doll. Less creepy than the version that Unger has with the sort of the nails driven into yeah. his head. But clearly the same sort of design though. Yeah, very same design and it also shows that it has a sort of a C-section scar across yeah. the baby's stomach, very similar to the one that Sam has. Die Hartman correctly guesses that this is all a trap to lure him to the beach, but he's going to play along because he needs to find out the secret behind the Death Stranding and at this point he doesn't feel like he's got anything to lose. We finally get to see Die Hartman's face as he removes his mask during the chiral transmission. Die Hartman at this point reveals that Amelie is a complete ghost and there is no record of her past prior to her 20s. He also reveals that he's never actually met Amelie in person. Pretty much no one has, in fact. Although Amelie was with the first group, the expedition through America to begin establishing the Carl Network, Mama and Hartman were also part of that second group, but they had no contact with her either during that whole time. Also very suspicious that everyone within Amelie's group was wiped out except her. Die Hartman reveals that Amelie was actually born on the beach where her soul remains, although her body resides in the physical realm. During her 20s, Amelie started to develop supernatural powers, and she was recorded as having dooms levels way off the scale by the time she was 20. At this point in her life, she also started being able to travel to the beach. Now, Die Hartman reveals that in the past, Bridget had told him that Amelie was her daughter, as she'd told everyone else. However, in reality, Bridget actually had cancer of her uterus and couldn't possibly conceive a child. So this is all very suspicious, because at this point we've been led to believe that both Sam and Amelie are the children of Bridget. What's going on here? The mystery deepens. Die Hardman was able to travel to the beach taking a pistol with him loaded with hematic rounds, and it's actually in fact the gun that connects them all together and enables travel to the beach. It's the same gun that Die Hardman and Bridget used to kill Unger. The gun, loaded with hematic rounds made from Sam's blood, also connects him to the beach, allowing it to be transported to the beach along with Die Hardman. So this is the sort of the great connector of them all that enables the gun to be transported to the beach in the first place. Yeah. And Die Hardman is intending to use this gun to stop Amelie's plans. 
Shortly after making the recording, Die Hardman travelled to the beach, as we saw previously, to face down with Bridget. At this point, Sam also finds out that the chiral network is slowly becoming completely unusable and it's getting more and more unstable as time passes. Fragile then enters the room, and she explains that Amelie was the leader who is actually behind everything, and she's been leading the terrorist encounters all along, causing the void outs, and all of this was to further her goals. Fragile also reveals that Higgs betrayed her after meeting Amelie, and Amelie turning him into, quotes, her agent of extinction. Giving him all his powers. Yes, that's exactly right. She gave Higgs all of her powers, making him, in quotes, her homo demons, which is uh, where the name of the terrorist faction comes from. Fragile also took a look inside the BB pod that was attached to Higgs's chest, and she discovered that there was no BB there at all, just the creepy doll, the same doll that we often see accompanying Cliff Unger. Fragile reveals to Sam that the technology between the terrorists and Bridges in terms of their use of the BB is in fact very different, and the information that we heard before that Bridges was using BBs as a retaliation for the terrorist use of them was completely false. The terrorist BBs connect to Amelie and her beach, whereas Sam's BB actually connects to the world of the dead, so the technology between them isn't even comparable at all. They're completely different pieces of kit, although they do appear very similar. So at this point, Sam realises that he needs to go to Amelie's beach and convince her to not cause the last stranding. If he has to, he'll kill her, but doing so will lock him in the beach away from the outside world forever. Sam, in a rousing speech to the rest of his crew, decides that if it buys them a little more time and makes the world better, then they've got to keep going for as long as they can. Nothing lasts forever, not even the world. But we gotta keep it going as long as we can, right? You can tell that throughout the course of the game, Sam admits to being hung up on past regrets and living a lie, and after meeting the people on his journey, his views started to change, and he decides that he has to deliver for the sake of humanity. So this is a big sign of the development that Sam's had throughout the game, finally deciding that indeed life is better with other people. Before he heads off, Sam hands Lou to Deadman, and Deadman assures Sam that he'll take good care of the little one. Sam then holds his dreamcatcher and embraces Fragile as she helps to teleport him to Amelie's beach using her umbrella. I know you love her. You love her! There. Sam then wakes up on Amelie's beach. And we're actually seeing this vision from the perspective of baby Sam. So we're now seeing essentially a reverse vision that we'd seen previously back when Sam was actually traveling over to Port Knot City. We're now seeing from the baby's perspective, Amelie walking up to a baby and casting it back into the ocean. So at this point, it looks very much like Amelie is picking up baby Sam and casting him back into the ocean, repatriating him back to life. Sam then wakes up again, this time as an adult, on Amelie's beach. He looks over for her and she appears once again singing London Bridge is Burning Down. This time, Amelie's wearing a black dress and she actually has Bridget's voice. As she turns to Sam, we also notice she's wearing Die Hardman's mask again. And then through a series of sort of trippy teleporting moves, Sam begins to see Bridget on her deathbed, grabbing Sam's arm as she did previously, although now she's wearing a mask. So these are some very confusing visions that we're having here and all sort of foreshadowing of the reveal we're about to have now. We at this point discover that Bridget and Amelie are not in fact mother and daughter and indeed one and the same human being. Amelie slash Bridget 
tell Sam that she's been waiting on the beach to stop her from causing the end of days. She's also at this point holding the gun that Die Hardman had previously that he tried to shoot her with. She admits to Sam that Amelie doesn't exist and that she is the reason why he is a repatriate, initially sending him back as a baby from the beach. So she's also responsible for his doom's condition. She also tells Sam that the last stranding, as Higgs mentioned before, has already begun and it can't be stopped. She explains that the seam between her beach and the other beaches will emit antimatter, consuming everything, causing the final big bang. She tells Sam that he can basically either at this point do nothing, stay with her and bear witness to the final end of days. His second choice would be to delay the death stranding, save humanity for another day, as she explains humanity is designed to do to constantly struggle for survival. In order to stop the last stranding, Amelie will need to sever her connection of her beach to the rest of the beaches. She puts it to Sam that humanity can either end in dignity in one single stroke, or it can struggle on in vain, and those are his choices. Pull the rope, or cut the noose. She then hands Sam the gun. And at this point, you have the choice to pull out your gun and shoot her. Did you try to do this, James? So I have emptied a- my clip into her back, yeah. Anyway, I started blasting. Bang! Yeah, you've got to... (laughs) (laughs) So in this scene, Amelie slash Bridget turns her back on Sam and walks towards the ocean as Sam handles the gun and, as James has just described, absolutely emptied the clip into her back. However, what happens at that point, James? Oh, I've seen nothing. They just sort of either go through her or, like, disappear or get absorbed or whatever. I don't really... I didn't get what happened, but it didn't work. Yeah, exactly. That's right. It's a very similar fashion to the effect that Die Hardman has when he tries to shoot Bridget in the scene earlier. Which I kind of knew was going to happen, but I just wanted to shoot her and I just didn't see my clip anyway. So, how did you figure out what you actually had to do? Well, I didn't, really. It just went into a cutscene after that. Oh, did it? Oh, right, okay. What are you actually meant to do then? (laughs) Yeah, so if you actually walk up to her, there's a prompt that appears to hug her instead of shooting Oh, no, her. I did get that. Sorry, I did get that, yeah. yeah. I, right, but then right. it just went straight into a cutscene from there. That's right. And when Sam finally embraces Amelie, he remembers a time when she was speaking to him as a child, telling him that one day he'll need to stop all of this, shortly before giving him the Dreamcatcher. And the Dreamcatcher that she handed him was a key to allowing Sam to travel to her beach and stop whatever was coming. She was obviously speaking to a child. She wasn't overly specific about the fact that he was going to one day stop the end of days. However, Sam does remember that from all along, Amelie has proven herself as wanting to avoid the last stranding, some way or another. Emily explains to Sam that her destiny as an extinction entity is to remain alone on the beach, and during this time, although she never wanted to cause the last stranding, the centuries spent wandering aimlessly and alone on the beach caused her to finally lose patience and decide to want to end it all. Seeing as it was inevitable that the last stranding would happen at some point, she saw no reason to delay it any further and finally decided to assume her destiny as harbinger of the end of days. So Sam actually takes pity on Amelie in this moment and starts to understand her cause of living a life completely on her own on the beach is definitely not a way for anyone to live. So he can, to some degree, appreciate why she wants to stop delaying the inevitable and cause the end of humanity, as is her destiny. Amelie, after speaking with Sam, agrees to stay on her beach shut off her connection to all of the other beaches and spare everyone the worst of The Last Stranding. She explains that she is the beach. So Amelie, Bridget, and the final higher plane beach are all one and the same. 
the Holy Trinity. She explains that before each of the Big Five extinction events, the species alive at the time all fought back. However, extinction is an opportunity. Following the extinction of each of the species, new life emerged from each of the Death Strandings. Amelie explains that she is the sacrifice that allows the Death Stranding to take place and allows for new life to blossom. Evolution, baby. Yeah, exactly, as the cause of evolution. However, in this scenario, we are talking about the last Stranding, so supposedly that's not going to happen this time around. Sam then wakes up in his own beach along with the photo of himself, Bridget, and his wife, also with the doll with the C-section scar. Sam then picks up the creepy doll with the C-section scar and ships it away to sea in the very similar way as to when Amelie discovered Sam as a baby on the beach. Yeah. Also worth noting out in this scene, he's all in grayscale. Yes, so this is kind of signifying that Sam is in fact dead in this scene as well, yeah. on his own beach, away from the scene. This almost looks like a, a semi-permanent death stage. Yeah, and this is comfortably the worst part of the game. <laughs> Kojima really doesn't know how to end a game and this is a long long ending here where we essentially see a massive reveal that what I'm going to kind of do now at this point is we will avoid talking necessarily about how this is delivered I mean James feel free to empty your guts on your uh, opinion on this go for it buddy well the first thing is there isn't really a big reveal in this at all because the whole of this scene is just repeating what we've just heard so nothing new is said in this whole thing which which is just irritating that's not necessarily true there there is a lot there is reveals in this definitely oh i heard nothing new in this so well it's number 1 uh, you don't know that Bridget uh, actually snatches the gun from Die Hardman and shoots uh, Unger, and so that's caused by Bridget, not Die Hardman. Previously here? in that scene, she goes, shoot him, and the vision fades to black as you hear a gunshot. You don't see the fact that Bridget was the one that shot. You don't see that oh, prior right. to that moment. There's bits and pieces yeah, that change the tone a bit and, and make make Die Hardman more relatable in bits. Yeah. But The flashbacks you get are her like saying, oh yeah, I'm Bridget and Emily, same thing, I'm an extinction entity. You get all of that story yeah. just retold again. It does, 100%. Yeah. you're absolutely right they do they what they do is they repeat the same thing over and over again from different perspectives each time revealing a tiny bit more information either about Unger's escape while he's trying to rescue BB as well as the past between Die Hardman and Bridget yeah I, you see I got all of that from the f***ing other ending the first time round <laughs> no, no the third time round alright yeah yeah the most egregious thing about this bit was is that you had control of Sam and you could run about your beach and you can do that forever and nothing will happen you have to sprint constantly and make him run out of steam and then he'll sit down and you get the next bit if you're just wandering around you could be there for hours yeah yeah, that's right yeah. and that is in my opinion awful game design awful <laughs> it's just the worst couple that you get the credits at this point yes you do yeah the credits start to roll which you then get f***ing later on and you can't skip it and it's genuinely 20 minutes <laughs> yep yep it, again it, very this... typical kojima he really likes to give people their dues no and, <laughs> and in this game i respect that he did that but do it once don't do it twice there's no need for that he can't resist getting his name on the screen just a few more times yeah. i think his during the end lot, credits yeah. of the game you see his name appear like no sh like after the two credit sequences at least yeah. 10 times he did stop short of referring to himself as god as he did in metal gear yeah. solid 4 so you didn't like this bit now no, not at all. <laughs> wandering around aimlessly on a beach no, whilst I, the credits I, I, roll and again slight pinch of salt because at this point it was about midnight yes. and, I, and i wanted to yeah. go to bed and this was it was pissing me off that this was dragging it out the only other time i finished the kojima game was with you and we played it together so i was talking to you while shit was going on yeah yeah like i've never had to experience this by myself and then 
there's more afterwards. Oh, it was too much. It's just too much. After the long ass Higgs fight. Traveling all the way back across the map. Traveling all the way back across the map. Then this. And then you get another, you know, probably 40 minutes of cutscene and then the 20 minute. Longer. Still another hour <laughs> Honestly, to go. longer. <laughs> yeah. Like, it, it's just too much. When the game's finished, it's too much. It was important yes. storytelling, like the cutscenes at the end. I, 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 like, there are some bits there that you need to see, but. It, it's just too much. And there is still quite a significant portion of game to go after this as well, actually. Yeah, exactly. So what I'll explain then, throughout all of these visions, as Sam is wandering along the beach, is Bridget confirms that when she was in her 20s, she did indeed develop cancer of the uterus. During a medical procedure for her treatment, she actually died during that procedure and for the first time teleported to the beach. At this point, because of her status as an extinction entity, she was then repatriated from herself. However, Amelie appeared in the physical realm as well, and her body and soul failed to separate fully. So at this point, after not being able to explain her supernatural powers, Bridget began a lie that Amelie was in fact her daughter instead, although they were indeed one and the same. Whilst Bridget was aging and unwell with cancer, Amelie never seemed to age. So at this point, we get to see various scenes pieced together, where, following Unger's attempt to escape, as we described in the visions before, he was indeed shot by the security team. He managed to escape into a room where John slash Die Hardman was trying to protect him and attempting to aid his escape. However, Bridget appeared and was able to bring the security team back so that they broke into the room. At this point, she was terrified of losing the bridge baby, which was so important to her research into establishing the chiral network that she urged Die Hardman to shoot Cliffhunger in the room. However, given their history and the fact that Cliffhunger had rescued Die Hardman from death so many times, Die Hardman refused to shoot him. At that point, Amelie then snatches the gun from Die Hardman and fires a shot, hitting Unger, but also inadvertently shooting the BB that Unger was trying to protect. Now, at this point, Bridget explains that she was distraught by the fact that she had inadvertently caused the death of the baby that she was intending to use as the initial bridge baby for her chiral project. And at this point, we get the absolutely massive reveal that the baby that Bridget slash Amelie first recovered on the beach from the scene that we see from our perspective is in fact Sam. We actually get to see through various cutscenes that Amelie travelled to the beach to locate the now deceased Bridge baby and during this process she turned Sam into a repatriate meaning that he was able to return from the dead. This then explains that the c-section scar that we can see on Sam's stomach throughout various stages in the game isn't a c-section scar at all it's actually a scar from the bullet wound that Amelie slash Bridget inflicted upon him as a baby. So at this point, we also discover, as we now know that the BB is indeed Unger's son, that the giant reveal is that Cliff Unger was Sam Bridges' daddy all along. Although I think, like, hilariously, I think I don't know if it made it into the edit or if I said it on a podcast, if it was just one of our chats, I think I jokingly said, oh, the reveal is going to be Sam's BB. I, I, I jokingly said that in passing. I didn't mean it. And then, lo and behold... Yes, so Sam is BB. Sam is indeed his ABB at least, but he's yeah. not the BB that Sam's also been yeah. carrying through the game, which I was definitely working at some point along playing this game that that was one of my strongest working theories that yeah. time had gotten messed up and Sam was actually, in fact, staring at a younger version of himself in a BB pod. Yeah, because that's the thing. It was when when um, it literally says multiverse, I was like, Sam's BB. Exactly. I think that was the joke I made. I think it was like, yeah, so Sam's going to be BB. And it's heavily implied while you're speaking to various settlers that they keep on seeing Sam 
Sam almost at yeah. a frequency that's unbelievable to them, which again kind of reinforces the fact that there's multiple Sams walking around. But I guess that's more an explanation just for the multiplayer. Exactly, that's right. Yes, yeah. It kind of like, it works the multiplayer into the lore yeah. in a kind of a Dark Souls fashion. It's cool. I, I, I liked it. And I did actually quite like this reveal. Yeah, so, I mean, this is really interesting now. So it turns out that the visions that we've been seeing that we previously thought were through BB's eyes was actually memories of Sam from the time that he was initially in a pod. Yeah. So now we come to the kind of very final stages of the game. Sam has successfully managed to delay the last stranding. Amelie has agreed to separate her beach from the rest of the beaches. And we can kind of put that one to bed. And you think the game's going to end? There is an entire inauguration scene it's where like we hour. witness... <laughs> <laughs> At this point, we witness Die Hardman accepting uh leadership of the united cities of america die hardman has now made himself president he unmasks himself to a crowd of onlookers and tells everyone that there's going to be a new america new hope where people can live with open hearts and free minds embracing the future you'll notice at this point that everyone in the room is now wearing those kipus that amelie was wearing yeah. and it's sort of like a sign of reference to the connections made in the world they are however keeping up the lie to the people about bridget and amelie being mother and daughter so they're not kind of telling everyone the whole truth there no. and obviously i think that the dark secret behind the fact that they were kidnapping babies and chemically <laughs> inducing comas on their mothers i think all of that still kept a little bit under the hoods people aren't aware of that on a large scale that's probably very wise maybe that's the premise of death stranding too everyone finds out <laughs> You actually also find out that the umbilical cord from Bridget Strand was actually woven into all of the Kipus in some sort of creepy way, and this now connects them all as part of the Carol Network. We also were then greeted to a scene following the presidential inauguration ceremony where Die Hardman tells Sam that Die Hardman was actually in love with Bridget, and that was his reason for going along with all this creepy bridge baby business. Since that day, he strongly regrets it, and he wore the mask to conceal his identity after he faked his own death. Which also explains another episode... I think in an earlier episode we said that there were no records of Die Hardman. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, so after faking his own death, he assumed a new identity and essentially was living a lie. Die Hardman also wonders whether the reason he was spared by Cliff Unger was that he saw through the mask, recognised John, and saw that he was trying to do his part for America, bringing it forward. Sam is pretty unsympathetic to a now sort of blubbering Die Hardman at this stage. He's, yeah, he's sort on, of his, on knees. his knees on the, yeah. <laughs> on the floor talking about his past regrets. Sam says... And yeah, the old ways die hard. But that's what's gonna have to happen if we're gonna come together and build a better America. Despite the very rousing speech where Sam's sort of getting all his team together and saying that everyone needs to come together to fight for the good of humanity, he then seems to kind of backtrack on all of this and seems very off with everyone again following the ceremony. Although in his defence with Die Hardman, doesn't he have a little chat with Deadman just before where um, sort of Deadman reveals that Die Hardman's got a bit of an iffy past and you shouldn't trust him? Yeah, he does say that Sam now has access to a load of files that he didn't previously. However, he does need to look out because those files get pretty shady. Yeah. Also worth mentioning mentioning that Deadman gives him a hug at this point too, and Sam doesn't recoil. Seemingly yes, being exactly. cured of his asymphosomphomia. That's exactly right. Yeah, they definitely seem to have built a connection. So, although Sam does seem to have reverted on some of his feelings, he is still willing to take a hug from Deadman. Which is quite nice. And you get a little bit where Deadman goes, you don't know how long I've been waiting to hug you, man, or something yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, you really do like Deadman by the end yeah. of this game. He's one of the best characters. While speaking to Deadman, Deadman tells Sam rather concerningly that the decommission order has finally come through for Sam's BB. 
BB is also looking really worse for wear. He's once again not very responsive. And Deadman is really worried about the risk of necrosis and therefore avoid out should BB die inside the pod. Now this is where you get the very distressing mission to actually take BB to the incinerator the same one that you burned the corpse of your mother, Bridget Strand, at the beginning of the game. Although she's not really your mother, so who cares, man? Just before he sets off, he remembers the time when he's told by Deadman that there is a 70% risk of catastrophic failure should a BB ever be removed from their pod. However, 30% chance of survival, that's not bad, and it could well be a risk he's willing to take. However, there's an absolute executive order to never remove a BB from their pod. They are, according to Bridges, still solely a tool for the avoidance of BTs with the secret alternative purpose of obviously powering and establishing the Chiral Network. Deadman tells Sam that he's found a way to hack into Sam's cuffs and at the moment where Sam places BB inside the incinerator he will then be briefly disconnected from Bridges and they won't be able to monitor anything that happens. So at this point we begin to get a glint of hope that we might be able to rescue BB thanks to the help of Deadman with the fact that he can then turn off any sensors monitoring Sam whilst he's doing the incineration. Sam carries BB to the incinerator however instead of placing him inside he takes off his cuffs that he was provided by Deadman at the start of the game and incinerates them in instead, preventing them from monitoring the next few moments. After removing BB from the pod, Sam is desperately trying to revive BB by massaging its feet and rubbing its chest. BB is completely unresponsive and looking very pale and unwell. However, Sam does persevere, and thankfully, BB finally comes round and looks up at Sam. Yeah, and this is quite sweet. Sweet moment. I felt a huge amount of relief the first time playing through this game. I thought, no way they're going to kill the f***ing baby at the end. <laughs> Kojima's done some weird shit. But he's not a goddamn yeah. baby killer. I wasn't sure at first when you when you sort of initially put the pod on the incinerator and it's going down and you sort of stop it last minute and switch it with the handcuffs. I was like, oh, Sam's just gonna do it. Okay, cool. <laughs> thank God. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if it was a QTE right at the end. Yeah, yeah. Well, that'd be real interesting. <laughs> yeah, they. Right I trigger. Guess they right trigger. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they didn't want to leave it up to any mystery there. You have to tell the story in a game like this. And to finish off the game, we finally see Sam emerging from the incinerator, holding BB now outside his pod. And in an interesting twist, we also see that it begins to rain, and this time Sam is no longer affected by Timefall, and it now appears that Timefall has disappeared along with the prospects of The Last Stranding for the time being. And presumably this is because of Emily slash Bridget cutting off her connection to the beach with the other beaches yes absolutely yeah. that's right yeah and we're left with the final scene of sam embracing bb standing in the rain as a rainbow starts to form and that listeners is the end of the tale of death stranding now i'm sure we're probably going to get some listeners uh you know who may be feeling at this point that i cut out a lot of details towards the end of this game truth is that's exactly what i did uh as james mentioned before this game is very drawn out you get to see a lot of repeated cutscenes from various different perspectives as you play out the final scenes of the game not to mention several long credit scenes as well um i've sort of tried to do my best there to sort of cover everything cover a lot of the main story beads and revelations obviously the main ones being that Amelie is an extinction entity that was set about to cause the end of times 
Turns out that the man that you've been seeing all the way through the game as you connect BB to yourself is actually a memory of Sam when he was a bridge baby being looked after and then attempted escape by his dad, Cliff Unger. And throughout the course of the game, we're able to avert the last stranding, reconnect America, and we're essentially at the end of this game now living in a new age, away from Timefall, away from BTs, and the dawning of a new America. Yeah, it was a good little run, this. Good fun game. I know you weren't too keen on the way that the ending was delivered, but uh, how was your overall experience, James? Overall, I think I'd say the experience is very good. The start was very drawn out and very cutscene heavy, which I initially thought was going to be a problem, but it, it was needed and it got into it. Uh, middle section of the game was nothing but a, a laugh. That was great fun. Final third was a bit of a slog. Once again, very cutscene heavy. Very cutscene heavy. And my concern at the start of all of this was that I was worried I'd get bored of the game. That didn't happen, but my patience starting to wear thin towards the end. I think it would probably be one of those ones where if we hadn't committed to doing all of this uh, in one episode, sort of covering the latter half of the game. In one episode, this might have been a bit more enjoyable to you, do you think? Maybe the fact that you were sort of forcing yourself, as you say, on a late night to finish the game in one sitting, as you were determined to do. Maybe that hampered your enjoyment of the ending slightly? Although, a lot of the things that you have mentioned are still completely valid, and I I still do think that Kojima really struggles to know how to finish a game. No, the the bit where you're on Sam's beach is egregious, and I think I'd feel that if I'd done the whole game in my own pace. I think that's just ridiculous. That should never have been there. But no, everything else, it was good. I I think I would have enjoyed the long cutscene endings more if it wasn't late. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, you have to take into account as well that really I just wanted to be playing Woe Long because I just started the day before. Yeah, that's understandable. so there's a slight element of, right, come on, come on, let's get this, which is quite disrespectful to Death Stranding. It probably deserved a bit better because it was it was really good fun. Um, I can see myself going back and playing this. My only slight issue would would be, and it's I don't know how it is, and as someone who's played it multiple times, you probably say, now that you know everything, is it as fun? Maybe the second time through because you can see all the different cutscenes knowing what's happened, but does that then kill the replayability would be my question. In, ter- in terms of the story, at least. Yeah, so I think that actually on my second playthrough, I found it very interesting knowing the events of the game, getting reacquainted with the storyline. However, you have a lot more insight into it than you obviously did on your first playthrough, where you spend yeah. the entire time scratching your head until the last sort of third of the game. Yeah, like I say, I, I, call, think that, I called one thing in the whole game. Everything else is yeah. just complete mystery. I think in terms of replayability on this game, I would say that it doesn't have a great deal of replayability, unless you actually do want to refresh your memory. I think where the kind of longevity of play comes into it is actually proceeding through the game in New Game Plus. So we've talked outside of the pod about the the moment where I decided that I'd actually completed the game. Yeah. So after the events of the end of the game, it actually restarts you in technically end game two weeks before the inauguration ceremony of the president. At this point, much like Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, it kind of starts you right before the ending of the game, which then justifies the fact that you can still fight BTs, Timefall is still a thing, and the mules are still very much present in the region of America. Um, so I think that a lot of the longevity of gameplay there comes with of going back, five-starring all of your settlements, and then establishing really cool zipline networks amongst all of the large high-up areas in the game, enabling you to sort of travel to and from all of the various settlers without ever having to even need to touch the ground. And for me, once I'd built all the roads in the game, delivering all of the materials, established all of my zipline points, then I felt like I could finally put the game down because I'd essentially made all the deliveries in the game semi-automated. And that was a great feeling to do, but yeah, I think that in terms of replay value, 
probably not so much. I think really at that point, it's very much as the game lore describes, you're addicted to getting likes, you're addicted to pumping your portal level up. And I think I ended on somewhere around 400 or something like that on my PlayStation 4 save file. For context, I ended the game on like 185. Yeah, so. I think I ended up on 194 on this yeah. playthrough. But yeah, man, this has been quite a journey to go on. Quite an odyssey. Yeah, it was very good. And I, like the story was really well told and really well directed. Kudos to Kojima. Right, James, I think that about wraps us up for another episode. It's time to draw it to a close. Before we close the episode, let's lay out the socials once more. You can, as always, find the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and pretty much anywhere else you get your podcasts by searching for Total Pod Mode. We also post regular video content of our playthroughs, stream highlights, as well as the podcast on our YouTube channel, Total Pod Mode. You can also find us on Twitter by searching for at Total Pod Mode, all one word. Or you can find me at Hoodafunk on Twitter, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash Hoodafunk. And you can find me on Twitter at MrBames, and I'm also on Twitch under twitch.tv forward slash MrBames underscore tpm thanks to all of our listeners who made it this far we appreciate you as always and we'll be back next week with another episode of total pod mode until then thanks everyone for listening bye bye goodbye